0: It's Friday, November eleventh, twenty twenty-two, and this is the People's Podcast. This is
1: Steak for Breakfast.
2: Okay, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules <laughs>
3: today, Junior America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by.
4: You know? I'm ready. It's a dangerous so. love affair. Come on. Can't be scared when nickels down. Got a problem, tell me so. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who so. this town.
0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you as always by Man Rubs. Rubs barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, Man Rubs. Use the code STEAK fifteen for fifteen percent off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear, there at StayReadyGear.com and on Instagram, StayReadyGear USA. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STAKE for 5% off. Don't get ready, stay ready.
1: The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family. Getting ready to kick off the big holiday savings. You need anything taken care of in the bedroom. Mike Lindell is selling it. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to experience those big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, my coffee is launched. 25% off when you enter promo code STAKE. 50% off when you sign up for a monthly subscription. Can't forget Giza dream everything. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for anything bed related. MyStore.com forward slash STAKE for anything coffee related. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative.
5: 1-800-658-8045.
1: The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, hypothetically running this town, we still don't know. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. Premium tobacco leaves. Aged three years, hand-rolled, picked from the fields of Nicaragua, Right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. You enter promo code STAKE there, you're getting 15% off your total purchase. Every purchase over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card on every order. MyPatriotCigarCompany.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're living... If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, plus he's got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Stay for breakfast, backs the blue. We love our first responders, they're always working hard. That's why they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on duty. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least... The gold standard of tactical flair and home of the Zero Fucks Duck can only be found at dumpbox.us. Check him out on Instagram and find him on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network, via the Roku app, from the Republican High Council, Ooh. Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, show after our big live extravaganza edition of the show. Episode 186. I'm Ron. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got a great show lined up. We're going to be having our first Truth Social content creator live series guest guest. Platinum recording star Lexus Wilkins Raheem Kassam's gonna be here as well. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news.
6: Many others are saying that Donald Trump is the reason Republicans didn't do as well as they thought they would. That's a more complicated question. The truth is we can't really see the entire picture this early. <laughs> Excuse us. I mean, <laughs> the truth is Trump has always been a mixed blessing politically. The downsides are marbled in with the upsides, but in this case, he's certainly not the single cause of anything. Republicans last night suffered a fair amount of down-ballot losses in races that had nothing to do with Trump. In Michigan, for example. So whether you like Trump or not, and many don't, and a lot do, it's a lot more complicated than just him. And then there's the most amusingly stupid explanation of all. <coughs> Excuse us, all this election talk. So bad candidates were the problem, and that's all over Twitter. All the Twitter pundits are telling you now: the candidates were subpar, and that was the problem. Candidate quality matters. Well, of course, strictly speaking, that is true. The quality of the candidate does matter, but at really how much does it matter? Well, let's see. Joe Biden got elected president two years ago from his basement. John Mm -hmm. Fetterman became a U.S. senator last night. Mm -hmm. Does anyone think John Fetterman was a quality candidate? (laughs) Is that why he won? Because they had quality candidates on the left? Did the voters of Pennsylvania really want a brain-damaged candidate who's never had a real job? Did they think he was more impressive than the guy who spent his career doing heart transplants? Probably not. You gotta give them credit for at least knowing who they were voting for. And they voted for John Fetterman. He won anyway. What does that tell you? It tells you that in some cases, candidate quality is not actually the most important thing. What is? Well, the mechanics of an election, they matter. In fact, they matter sometimes more than any individual running in the election. The way people vote makes a big difference to the outcome. And so, by the way, there's access to channels of communication. Why does that matter? Well, because you can say whatever you want, but if no one hears you, you're not really speaking. And that's the case for Republicans. So often, as if tonight, Republicans can communicate their message, unencumbered, on a single cable television channel and a handful of relatively low-trafficked websites. That's it. The rest of the American media amounts to a gigantic filter designed to distort Republicans or saying It's a campaign apparatus, and only the Democrats have it. Now, you can whine about that. Ooh, the media are liberal. But it's not about liberal or conservative, it's about winning elections, and Democrats can win because they have that. So if Republicans want to win elections too, they might spend some money to fix that, to achieve parity. So to restate, as of tonight, Democrats have far more control of the election machinery and almost total control of the American media, and Republicans don't. These are not ideological problems. It's not a question of who's right on the issues. That's settled, certainly in our mind, but probably in the minds of even people who would vote Republican if it occurred to them, but it doesn't because they don't know what they stand for. These are questions, again, not of who's right or who's wrong, but of who makes it into elected office, of who wields power. And many on the right don't seem to understand this at all. They don't care about the details. Two and a half years ago, the last administration and its Republican allies in Congress watched passively, seemingly in glassy-eyed sedation as the Democratic Party used the pretext of COVID to rewrite election laws around the country in order to get its own candidates into office. They didn't do it by accident. They knew what they were doing. Last night, those laws, many of which are still in the books, paid off generously. John Fetterman bombed in his one public debate. You saw it. He humiliated himself. He made a mockery of the election, but it didn't matter by that point. Thanks to early voting, Fetterman's margin was already in the bank. Nearly 70% of Democrats had voted early in the Pennsylvania races, only 20% of Republicans did. So, okay, it's over, but it doesn't need to be repeated. These are fixable problems. You can get your message out, you can force the other side, if you try hard enough, to agree on fair election rules. But you can't do any of that unless you acknowledge these problems exist.
1: All right, everyone, welcome to the show. It's our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. We've got a big one. We're coming in, I guess, a little bit tired. Midterm election hangovers. We're trying to uh, pick up the pieces and break it all down for you guys. Uh, Right off top, happy Veterans Day to everyone. We know there's a lot of both active duty and, and veterans who listen to the show. And uh, we really appreciate your listenership, but we appreciate your service so much more dedication to our freedoms and to this country on a daily basis. And all the sacrifices that you've had to make everyone from the candidates we've had on the show to our vast listenership, all the veterans out there, happy veterans day thank you for your service. Absolutely love it. Also just want to remind everybody, if you're not following us, Spotify, iTunes, find steak for breakfast, podcast, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, uh, fair and honest rating. Uh, we don't we don't ask for five stars like some people do, but we know...
0: We're not accepting mail-in ratings yet.
1: There you go, the caliber and quantity of uh, shows we're pushing out here, so keep that in mind. Well, here we are. Uh, we had our big midterm election live show on Tuesday night, and here we are on f- Friday morning here on the West Coast, and we still don't have any of the results that we didn't have, for the most part. Weird. So weird. Um Supposedly the most freest and fairest election system in the, in the largest developed country on the planet, um, still can't figure it out in states that would imagine that change the balance of power in the House of the Senate. We are currently sitting in the U.S. House of Representatives, 211 Republican to 193 Democrat. There's 30 some odd House races still out there, including Joe Kent's. Uh, they're doing the same thing with him that they did uh, in the primary election season. We've been talking back and forth with the campaign Joe himself uh, and he's assured us that he feels great about that we also saw some I guess you could call it funny business in places like Lauren Boebert's district but uh, it looks like she's going to be able to get over the finish line with a win there when it comes to the Senate I mean we're at 49 48 Republicans right now we still do not have final results on Adam Laxalt in Nevada we don't have final results on Blake Masters in Arizona nor do we have uh, final results on on Kelly Chewbacca, which, believe it or not, is going to uh, take nearly a month to get to round two. Seriously, yeah, the hell. Well, ring choice voting. Uh, yeah, get it off the friggin' books there up in Alaska. And and of course, as we wait for Blake Masters, we're also waiting for Carrie Lake, Abe Hamidé, and Mark Fincham, Uh as they're it's the biggest production of they know literally what's coming and just won't admit it openly. As nearly today, on Friday morning, there are still over 400,000 day of votes uh, throughout the state that have yet to be counted there. I
0: hate to say it, but there's probably just an increasing amount of sketchiness going on in unlabeled warehouses in Arizona right now.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about the fallout from election night. Obviously, the red tsunami or wave did not uh, happen. We had more of like a red weather occurrence. Mm. When, when, you, when you look at it across the board, there were, um, I would call it, Man, some of the biggest failures in leadership on the GOP side, when you stomp your feet and pour hundreds of millions of dollars across the country, just to spite people that Donald Trump picked to win in this election, idiotic, and then wait weeks to maybe give them a commercial or a couple bucks to play with as they're literally fighting for their lives up against the already established, as you heard, Tucker, you know. They use the guise of COVID to rewrite election laws across the country. That includes gerrymandering, poll watchers, drop boxes, early voting extensions, all stuff that we've been able to wash away a little bit of, but we've always said we still have a lot of work that we need to do. Places like Nevada and Arizona right now are perfect examples of that. Also, Washington State as well. And, uh, you know, we really have to start figuring out what we're going to do about this. I think the dynamic of how we look at elections – the Yunkin model of day of was great as a counteroffensive to the COVID stuff. But moving forward, when you look at demographics across the board, Republicans are going to outnumber Democrats in this election cycle over 7 million votes nationwide, which is a plus. If you look at all the cross tabs and you're talking about socioeconomic demographics um, and races, Republicans made gains everywhere except single women. Uh, so And single women came out in large numbers. And kind of made all the crosstabs a wash when you talk about it. So it's one of those things right now where we, we, we maybe need to start looking at wherever we're, we can't get rid of voting season is where we need to start embracing it. Um, we're still going to have an overwhelming majority of Republicans come out day of just for the patriotic value of it, you know, the shock value of it. Uh, but we need to really start looking to enjoy all of the stuff that's going on in all these different states in ways where we've just completely not used it because it, obviously the Democrats have used it to their advantage. And, uh, I mean, when you look at states and races that are as close like this, we're, we're literally waiting to see on, on, on the Senate between Masters and Lexall. And then obviously you're going to have the December 6th runoff with Herschel Walker, um, I believe, on Tuesday. We're going to have somebody from Herschel's team. We also are going to get Herschel back before the runoff as well. So I was talking with somebody from his campaign this morning via text, and uh, they are on the bus right now. Ted Cruz is there. I believe Josh Hawley's heading down there. Tom Cotton's going back. Uh, Congressman-elect Mike Collins out of Georgia 10 will be working directly with the Walker campaign. Listen, if you're in the Republican Party right now, and regardless of what's going on, whether it be leadership, whether it be future presidential candidates, whatever, your ass needs to get down to the state of Georgia we cannot have another replay of the 2020 uh, Georgia runoffs. Where Oof, no. I mean, if you just look at the numbers, and, and I, I'm not really a mathematician, Noah is our certified math expert on the show. And I'm the
0: last thing I should ever be is a math expert. <laughs>
1: Brian, Brian Kemp won by 11-ish. Herschel Walker is, was down half a point. And the Libertarians took nearly 3% there. So I'm thinking mathematically, there's no way that Raphael Warnock wins this. I mean and, and it's not hopium and Mm-mm. and it's not calling it before it happens when you just look at the like black and white math how dare me mm. There's literally no, is that no racist.
0: Oh. Wait, that's a double racist cuz black and white and then math. math. <sighs> how dare you. There's our warning for the day.
1: Yeah, we'll get a covid uh warning oh, on nope, our show just shit. to say it. and there. Well, I already said the guys have covid a couple times. Oh. But uh no, listen. That That's kind of, you know, the picture we're painting for you now. So a lot of things need to be rethunk within the Republican Party. And where does that come from? Uh, it starts and ends with McLeadership, mm-hmm. um, something that one of our great friends, Raheem Kassam, had tabbed long before he used it on this show and one that we kind of took and run with. We traded him the border wall barter currency that he thought was brilliant, uh, and we used McLeadership. So I, I do want to give credit where credit is due. But when you look at it top to bottom, Ronna McDaniel, listen, she showed face. She did what she needed to do, bare minimum. But honestly, if you go back and look at any clip of Ronna McDaniel before the midterm elections and anytime Newsmax, OAN, any conservative podcast, Fox News, wanted to hem her up about America first and Donald Trump, you literally could see the demons ready to exit her body as she had to talk about it. It Mm -hmm. looks like, you know, she gets physically ill talking about nationalist populism, Donald Trump, MAGA, America first. Kevin McCarthy, we all know. Listen, Joe Kent was on the show last week, and he told us Kevin McCarthy made the biggest investment in the midterm election season by throwing $12 million in the primaries for Joe Kent to lose and then having to reinvest $10 million in ad campaign money after he won. So $14 million uh, into one house race in this country where he spent $9 million on, on Lisa Murkowski's Senate seat that she was going to win regardless. She could have been the dead guy in Pennsylvania, and she still probably could have won if Kelly Spocka didn't run against her. Um, you know, and he spent no money on, uh, well, not Kevin McCarthy, uh, Mitch McConnell. And we'll get to him in a second. But Kevin McCarthy, just house races throughout the country. Listen, wherever you weren't going to vote, For uh, Kevin McCarthy, for speakership in in the House, you weren't getting McCarthy bucks. You were getting a primary challenger, and you were going to get the full force of the GOP uh, going against you, especially if Donald Trump endorsed you. So that was that. And then Mitch McConnell, first he complained, then he was 50-50, then he was kind of optimistic, but in the end he did nothing. Like I already kind of referenced, he poured $9 million in the Lisa Murkowski Senate campaign one, that if she went on challenge would have walked to. Two, one that she'll probably win because ranked choice voting is absolute shite anyway. So, How is that even a
0: thing? I don't get it. Right. Well, I mean, I, I get it. But By
1: as little margin as it passed, they need to re-propose it back on the ballot and get rid of it. Um, or you'll run into, uh, you know, places like Maine where it, it's just an abandoned, like, colony now that we don't even worry about because of uh, why put candidates up there you'll do rank choice voting and they'll get them out in the second or third or 15th round whatever they do like i still
0: don't even really understand how it works to be honest it's it just it doesn't make any sense to me
1: it is the julia roberts math gif when you when you really try to wrap your brain around yeah. so and, and you know it's it's one of those things right now where, where all three of them mccarthy ronald mcdaniel uh, Mitch McConnell, and then you have, obviously, Tom Emmers, who was supposed to be like, you know, I get house reps elected across the country. Cataclysmic failures everywhere. Mm-hmm. Very partisan, very whatever. And then, you know, the National Governors Association bailed on Tudor Dixon, bailed on Doug Mastriano. Whether or not you want to talk about the caliber or strength of them, they fought till the end mm-hmm. and uh, did everything that we needed to do. One other thing I want to touch on real quick before we jump back into the, the leadership critique here. And, and, you know, we'll get into that a lot more with Raheem Kassam and our, and our A-Block guests right here. Um, but looking at things differently. 2016, there was an anomaly with Donald Trump destroying the blue wall in the Great Lakes states, uh, being so popular in, in places like the Rust Belt and then winning places like Pennsylvania. When you look at the, la- the last couple voting cycles have gone. And the quality, you want to talk about candidate caliber. Josh Shapiro is your governor in Pennsylvania. John Hobo Shrek Fetterman is your United States <laughs> senator from there.
0: God. Like, there should just be, like, somebody needs to just launch a reality show about him just doing his job now. Like, people would watch it just, I mean, it's like watching a, You know, you're driving past a car on the freeway that's on fire with people burning. You're like, you can't help but look.
1: Alex Jones had a hot take on him today. Spoiler alert: Stay around for the after credits because I've pulled it. (laughs) But, but I mean, do we need to maybe start focusing on fortifying places like Ohio, which kind of voted not as red as I would have liked this election cycle, Wisconsin, which definitely didn't vote as much as I would have liked to this election cycle, Georgia, and then if. If Lombardo and Kelly Lake do walk on to victories in Nevada and Arizona, Kerry Lake? Kerry Lake. Do we do we do we start fortifying those states now instead of pouring so much money into states that have just been unsuccessful, regardless of what's going on in places like Michigan and Pennsylvania? It's, it's up for debate. And, and we're gonna continue to talk about that. I, I think it's a hot take. I, I think there's a lot of people because of how proud Keystone staters and Michiganders are are going to say hell no, but you have to start looking at the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does your state legislative look like? What does your governor look like? You've elected, like, the guy who ruined Pennsylvania as the top cop to now be your highest elected official in the state. And you have a top three, Cuomo, Newsom, Whitmer worst governors in COVID Mm -hmm. and ones that rubbed it in the peasants face more than anybody. She went to Cancun. She vacationed in Florida. She went to see her dad that was dying. Her husband fucking had his boat riding around the Great Lakes (laughs) while you were locked up, losing your small business. Your kids were masked in school. Everybody's forced to get jabs. And there's state infrastructure that's just falling apart. Not only mention that, that's one of the battlegrounds, not for elections, but for the sexualization of children, which are now going to lose a major battle on the forefront of that on.
0: Anybody that went to Florida during all that stuff, I mean, given the fact that they're supposed to hate Florida and Florida is the model for what you shouldn't do, quote unquote. Anybody on their team that went to Florida should just be automatically hamstringed. Just, you're done.
1: Tucker Carlson would continue on that thread he was on last night as he uh, had Ned Ryan on. And uh, I thought it was good talking about leadership and whatnot as we get into this. Let's check this out. A
6: number of significant Republican candidates around the country, that would include Blake Masters in Arizona, Doug Bullduck in New Hampshire, for Loved example, him. who seem to have been defunded by the Republican Party in Washington. Huh? Why is that? Something's going on here. Ned Ryan might know what is going on here. He's the CEO of American Majority. He joins us tonight. Ned, thanks so much for coming on. So maybe I'm just being paranoid, though I'm not sure you can be too paranoid at this point, but it seems like a lot of the candidates who are challenging the most basic orthodoxies of Washington, views that are not shared by the majority of Americans, people actually wanna make this a representative government,
5: are getting shafted by the funders in D.C. Is this happening? It's absolutely happening. I mean, Mitch McConnell's Senate leadership fund just pulled $8 million worth of ads out of Arizona. And Tucker, I remind people that the Emerson poll that just came out recently shows Blake down by two points uh, against Mark Kelly, who's only at 47 percent. It's an eminently it's it's a winnable race. And I would I, I think one of the reasons they're doing this, Tucker, if we're being honest, the GOP establishment establishment is not putting America first. They don't want America first. It's Washington first and, and America maybe eventually. And you look at this this behavior, it's, it's by sociopaths. You can only look at this. Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. would much rather lose races than have America first senators in the Senate because yep. he's petty, he's vindictive, and he despises the base. And that's the only explanation. I think it's the real explanation as to why he's pulling for funding for Blake Masters and others, he would prefer to be in the minority. He's playing games. Tucker, let's be clear. He's playing games with the future of this country because he is petty and vindictive. And he
1: hates Donald Trump. I mean, that's the fact of the matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire GOP establishment leadership, you know, unit. I mean, I guess Apparatus. <laughs> they, they hate his guts they, they And you've seen it in the in the fallout From, from election day they've, they've tried to pin a lot of this on Donald Trump Even though his endorsement record Sailed over 200 And uh, with very few losses I mean some of them were some of our favorites Who we've been on the campaign trail with along the way You know the John Gibbs It's going to be sad to see him go mm-hmm. and, and a couple other ones But uh, listen you want, you want to blame this on the man that did more than any of those losers Uh you can come and, and ask to be on steak for breakfast and I'll be more than happy to argue that point with you. Yeah. Uh, I saw Molly Hemingway yesterday. She jumped on Fox News uh, and, and, you know, from The Federalist and, and she gave some really good talking points about it uh, in, in regards to elections. Let's hear her.
7: We really did see, given all the enthusiasm that was in the country, that Republican leadership really failed Republican voters. Republican voters were excited. The, the ground was very fertile for a big Republican victory. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden's approval is in the toilet. Uh, 75% of the country thinks we're going in the wrong direction. Just objectively speaking, things are bad in the country, whether it's the southern border or crime or foreign policy, inflation. And that Republican leaders could not turn that into a big victory for Republicans really is an indictment of how they're running things. That elections are not run anymore like they were in the 1980s. Mm. There is now extensive period of voting where people who are smart are running get out the vote operations every day hauling in ballots every day. Republicans keep on thinking that election day is a single day, and they think if they get everybody excited for that last day that that will be sufficient. That is not sufficient. There needs to be an effective ground game that is on Republican leadership, and there's only so much that everybody else can do with their enthusiasm and everything else.
1: That's an excellent point because, listen, for as many gains as we've made in undoing. It's not even repairing the, the current election system. It's undoing the stuff that the Democrats were allowed to get away with during COVID. We, we now have a year and a half to fix it again before we have a presidential election. And uh, listen, having some governors win like Ron DeSantis, hopefully Kerry Lake, uh, Joe Lombardo is going to help, especially in battleground states. Believe it or not, Brian Kemp, it's going to help. You know, we didn't see as much funny business uh, or, or allegations of it in places like Georgia, now, places like Alaska, which is usually a Republican stronghold, we may never get the candidate we want there again. We may just get the cookie-cutter establishment douchebag because of ranked choice voting until they get it back on the ballot and vote it out. It, it passed by 1.2%. It's very viable to be able to get it off, especially if people are going to be unhappy if Lisa Murkowski wins. Sarah Palin loses. Uh, you know, and, that, and that's just kind of where we're at. Um, and, and the backtracking and finger pointing, it, it, it was at, uh, elevated heights over the course of, uh, you know, the days following the midterm election on Tuesday. Uh, I saw Ronna McDaniel, she's going around also awesome. I mean, everyone has called for her head and they've asked for, you know, I, I, I think Lee Zeldin would be an amazing candidate to be the GOP chairman, um, because of how bad she's done and how understanding it seemed that he was, uh, based off of all this, but, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting just to see these. Well, here we go. You, you want to talk about how we were feeling on Monday and, and at the beginning of our live show on Tuesday and how Ron McDaniel's talking now. Listen to this.
8: Listen, I, I we never used the word red wave at the RNC because we knew the map had shrunk. There were less competitive seats because of redistricting. And we picked up 14 in 2020. And everybody forgets that. But Republican governors were overwhelmingly reelected last night because of what they did in the pandemic because we did have a message. We kept our schools open. We kept our economies humming. And from Florida to Ohio to Iowa, across the board, we didn't lose a single Republican governorship. And the wave did happen because we are waving goodbye to Speaker Nancy Pelosi.
1: That's what you want to hang your hat on. Mm. We're literally fighting for the slimmest majority right now in the house. And there is a 50, 50 chance that we will have a 50, 50 Senate come January because of their mismanagement, their loathsomeness for Donald Trump and disdain for him and everything that he did uh, over the course of this election season. And, you know, the blame has even shifted to Donald Trump as well as like, I let it, I mean, everybody's seen it, you know, Donald Trump's put out quite a few truths. We're going to get into those later, of course, and start talking about that. But, You know, everybody's starting to dogpile on him and and make this seem like uh, things that were not okay in the election and and things that he really doesn't have control over, Um, you know, like from the Republican leadership standpoint at the establishment level. You know, like the ones who work in those offices, like the Kevin McCarthy's, like the Mitch McConnell's, um, you, you know. I don't know. I don't know how you pin stuff like this on him. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, If you didn't like the way he did things, then that's one thing. And believe me, they're very open about that stuff. But if you don't like the fact that, you know, he's out there endorsing people that you don't – well, that's not really – you don't have anything to say about that. I mean, these people ran tough primaries, and, you know, these people went to war for America first, and and in the most parts, you know, they uh, held the line. Uh, What what happens on election days, and and because – the Republican establishment and the GOP don't have boots on the ground to realize what early voting looks like, what all of these things that go into drop boxes and ballot pickups and stuff. It's And we're not talking about voter fraud. It's just the way that, that things are set up now uh, that, that we need to be able to realize that the, the overwhelming majority of this blame can't fall on Donald Trump. Let's hear Kevin McCarthy's pseudo lover and confirmed roommate. Ooh. Frank Lutz, weigh in on the Donald Trump factor following the midterm elections?
9: Well, there are been a lot of people that are going to say after, after this election that if Republicans in the end fail to take the Senate or only take it by one seat, they're going to blame Donald Trump yes. because they are Trump's candidates that got the nomination and they're Trump's candidates that lost. New Hampshire is a good example. Pennsylvania is a good example. Arizona is a good example. People who Donald Trump endorsed that were outside the mainstream and have failed to uh, to secure the Senate. Uh, on the House side, it was Kevin McCarthy's candidates, much more diverse, much uh, uh, who looked much more like America. There is a difference between the two people. And I think that Trump is going to take an awful lot of criticism mm-hmm. in the next week before he makes his announcement. And the one candidate that did particularly well, the one candidate that looks really strong right now, for 2024 is the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Mm. If DeSantis mm. gets into the race, Donald Trump is going to be uh, it's going to be hurting me.
1: Oh, I was going to say you went through the entire cold open without hitting the Garrison. Mm. He had a couple Garrison like statements in there, but uh, we'll give you a pass. There's a lot more news to do. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at, and we're going to get into Trump and DeSantis. It is not top ticket or. Top of mind, really, on steak for breakfast. It's going to be what it is. We're going to read truce. We're going to hear tweets. And we're going to get into uh, all that stuff. But there's a lot other. Believe it or not, we're going to have midterm election roundup for our news one. Because like we said, there's still races that aren't called. <laughs> we'll touch in on a couple campaigns with big uh, big victories and, and and some of their speeches. But before we get into any of that, we're going to start to break down the entirety of what our show is built on today with one of our absolute Good friends and great guests who uh, we're excited to be having back. Joining us first on the show today, he's the editor in chief of the National Pulse. He writes one of the best substacks out there. He's a great friend. Steak for breakfast, enjoyer, Mr. Rahim Kasam. Thanks for coming back on with us
10: today. What do you mean, one of the best substacks out there? Ooh, <laughs> damn it! We, we won't do it ever. <laughs> How's everything going with you, sir? Yeah, I'm starting to become interested
1: in politics again. I've been, um, I've been watching and loving every second of it. I haven't been texting you as much as I usually do, only because I see you, like, it's gone past the toe. I think you're, like, a majority of the foot back into the pool right now.
10: <laughs> it's, it's just finally interesting again, you know? And and it's interesting because uh, this this cycle has, has once again showed us that if uh, Kevin McCarthy and Tom Emmer and these guys are allowed to, to run – elections uh that not only do the results not necessarily tally with the expectation um but also when you look at what's going on in nevada in arizona right now there is nothing there's no legal fight where are the lawyers where is the rnc where is the nrcc you know where are these people And where is all the money? Where's the money gone? That's what we need to be asking. Kevin McCarthy and Ronald McDaniel, where's the money gone? Because they raised hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars over the last few years, using Trump's name, using his picture, texting you all the time, you know, all that bullshit that you get, you know, 16 times a day, oh, the president needs you, have you abandoned him? That doesn't come from Trump or Team Trump. That comes from the Republican apparatus in D.C., and it's the same Republican apparatus in D.C. that when they're throwing thousands of ballots post-election day, into the mix in Nevada, and they're slow rolling an election in Arizona, and that's going to creep over the line for Katie Hobbs, you know, by a fraction, by a decimal of a percentage point, where is the GOP? Mm -hmm. Fucking nowhere.
1: To see the stuff that went on throughout the course of the primary season, Joe Kent, great guest on Steak for Breakfast, he's been on a dozen times, he's he's a phone call away. To have him talk about the $12 million that was spent to make him lose and then have to reinvest. I mean, Kevin McCarthy made overall $14 million investment in, in Joe Ken's campaign. Only $2 million of it for him, and that came long after he needed that. And uh, he's in a fight for his life right now, too. I was texting him this morning. He says, still feels great about it, but, you know, at the same time, uh, shouldn't be this way. Um, you know, where, where he has to make up like two and a half percentage points at, of the last 55,000 ballots coming in. Day of, of course, uh, to get over to the finish line and be the next congressman for Washington 3. You mentioned Kerry Lake. The stuff that's going on in Arizona, I mean, it's it's beyond third world because we've had so many veterans on the show uh, who have said, you know, that their elections are held on one day at gunpoint, you get ink on your finger, and then you get sent home. The ballots are done on paper, and they count them immediately. Uh, we've seen things a little bit more modernized, like we did in Florida over the course of the election season, Season, but that, that's that been a couple years coming and, and really cleaning mm. out some of the mess that the drop boxes, the length of time, uh, you know, how you could vote early, who is eligible for an absentee ballot and stuff like that. So we've seen it work in some states, but when you talk about places like Arizona and Nevada, it's just like the absolute garbage can of, of, of the world when it comes to anything, uh, election related. And, you know, I, I, I know this is a lot of this is to take the wind out of sails of candidates and it's such a divided, uh, deciding swing state in, in some contexts <clears throat> as well, but it, it's just like so many people see it. I just don't know why nobody, like you said, where are the lawyers, where are the people really threatening with the mega lawsuits right now to absolutely crush who is ever continuing to allow like this absolute grandstanding to continue
10: yeah, here's the dirty little d c secret, right? Um, and there are lots there are lots of them that are becoming more and more apparent to people as the days go on. Um, but the the Republican establishment had always wanted to just about creep over the line. Uh, and they didn't, they never intended for there to be a red way. If you, if you intend for that, and listen, how many times have I told you guys that, that they would that you wouldn't see what they're claiming, yep. that the expectations are being raised too high and that, you know, intentionally being raised too high. Um, because it gives them the ability to do two things. Number one, it gives them the ability to compromise with Biden and the Democrats whenever their donors tell them to, whenever Citadel capital bosses tell them to, whenever their Bill Gates buddies tell them to, whenever their uh, you know the Dave Urbans, who now lobby for Chinese Communist Party-linked lobby shops in Washington, D.C., tell them to, and the other part of that is it enables them to try and place the blame on none other than Donald Trump and say, oh, well, of course, you know, this is all to do with Trump and this is the big problem and so on and so forth. You know, absolute bollocks. Absolute bollocks up and down. And, and for the audience who's listening and going, well, you know... Trump made a bad endorsement with Dr. Oz, and maybe Herschel Walker wasn't the best candidate. Yeah, no shit. Welcome to you know 2022, where you're you know Trump had an option options provided to him that was Dave McCormick, you know the husband of Dina Powell, who is yep. leaking against Trump from within his own administration, um, or, or or Dr. Oz, right? And yes, you had Kathy Barnett, but as I keep saying to people, when was the first time you heard of Kathy Barnett? Because if it, was, if it was any time within the month of the primary and not before that, then you simply cannot expect the machine to catch up with where the other candidates were. And that's what happened. I liked Kathy Barnett too, but it wasn't realistic. It was a dream, and the dream didn't happen. Now, listen, uh, a couple of weeks before Georgia... Everybody knew it was going to a runoff. Nobody was of the belief that on election night, Herschel Walker would be standing up there and declaring victory. So again, the reality in D.C., amongst the D.C. classes, um, of which I am simply an observer and not a part, they knew this stuff. And yet they continued to raise expectations. Um, And so we have to ask the questions why. I think it's pretty clear here what they're doing. I think it's pretty clear from what uh, Paul Ryan is doing over at Fox news and from what Ken Griffin is doing uh, with Ron DeSantis and going around all of these media organizations uh, telling them that hey, no, no, it's time to pull the money from Trump and give it to DeSantis and blah, blah, blah. Listen, if the public wants that, If the Republican voters want that, then A, that would be reflected in national surveys and polling. And B, that will be reflected in, guess what, the Republican primary. But what's happening now is the billionaire corporate classes, including Rupert Murdoch and all those guys, are trying to line people up against Donald Trump. And I say this, I urge people at every juncture, with every bit of information that you're presented with, including and not limited to, and we've got to talk about this in a second, including but not limited to Trump's angry, aggressive, snarling, you know, thin-skinned, whatever you want to call it, messages about Ron DeSantis in the last 48 hours, you have to question why and where that whole thing is being fomented from. And if you want to get into it, we can get into it right now.
1: Oh, We're definitely going to get into it. You mentioned Ron DeSantis as well. Uh, did you see the heater he threw at Glenn Youngkin this morning?
10: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. another one of these another one of these Fox News, you know, Paul Ryan people that that are being mooted to run for president. Uh, you know, because because as if as if time has shown us, and experience has shown us. and and, you know, as if that showed us that they want that the Republican Party wants more moderate candidates running, right?
1: No, oh, it's absolute. well, as you would say, rubbish to see to even th- rubbish. you, you got to think, like, Maybe Ronda DeSantis is a little bit more stronger, but definitely Glenn Young. Like, he does not want to get into that arena. He doesn't want to get into the octagon and have to take off his shirt like Spider-Man versus Macho Man in and, and, you know, the, the first Tobey Maguire movie. It's just not going to happen because when it's like three minutes in the cage, me and you, th- then you know like – you're going to wind up on the scrap heap, and it's going to screw up the rest of your political career. And both of those guys are relatively young and have promising careers ahead of them. I yeah. think I think both of them need work to do. Glenn Youngkin's done moderately good work in the state. I think he went out and, and stumped for a lot of people over the course of the election season, and, and so did Ron DeSantis. But when you take the mulligan away that's COVID out of the whole narrative that's Florida, and you really look at a lot of the stuff, Ron DeSantis has been a better-than-average talker. Since he's been the governor of Florida, but he's been just like a run of the mill runner of the state. Probably a little bit better than than most of the Republican governors, but I wouldn't call him the absolute gold standard of the Republican Party right now.
10: Look, I, I, I like Ron DeSantis, right? Like, I, I I think he's I think he's fine. Yep. Um, I don't think the people around him are fine. Uh, I, I you know, that's not to say all of them are necessarily of that old um, GOP ilk, but many of them are, especially many of the donors. Some of the staff as well, not all of them, of course, we, we know which ones we like over there. Um, but here's the other thing about DeSantis, right? And I was, by, by the way, I was one of the first people to ever tell him that he should run for president someday. This was back in like 2015 on Breitbart News Radio. So, so you know, I, I will be entirely consistent with this and say that I still think he would make a great president one day. But when your donors and your staff and, you know, all of these people around you are running around and briefing the press And getting billionaires to go to Politico and Fox News and all of this and brief against Donald Trump, um, then what do you expect for Donald Trump to slap you back? Um, And I know they think, I know that people think that this is going to take away from Trump, but I keep reminding people... Remember how nasty the primary was in 2016? Remember the nasty nicknames? I mean, they, they, we laugh at them now, right? Lion and Ted and Little Marco and all yeah. of this. We laugh about it. But at the time, when Trump was making fun of Heidi Cruz, when yeah. the Billy Bush tape came out, when, uh, you know, uh, when Rafael Cruz was, you know... Uh, all that stuff with Cuba and Castro and everything, right? People were aghast. They were aghast. They thought this is the end of the Republican Party. Donald Trump's going to bring the whole thing burning to the ground alongside his mean tweets. <laughs> and what ended up happening is that is that, that aggression and that, that uh, 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 you know, nastiness was the very same aggression and nastiness that ended up defeating Hillary Clinton because that is the only way it could have been done. And, and again, it's not my place to decide, and I will have no vote uh, in that process. But for the primary, as it's coming up, that is up to Republican voters to decide. It is not up for hedge fund managers. It's certainly up, not up to Mitch McConnell. And that's what's happening right now. People need to get their heads around that. You, two things can be true at the same time. You can, you can, well, lots of things can be true at the same time, right? You can like Ron DeSantis, as yes. I do. You can like Donald Trump as I do. You can dislike some of the messages that are coming out from Trump, right? At the same time, but you can also realize who is setting you up for failure here, and and that is what we call the McLeadership, right? That is that is McConnell, McCarthy, McDaniel, you know, and in, and in, in, in their in their Mickey GOPs dollar menu, right? Because that's what their candidates amount to.
1: Yep. No, it's it's the truth, and uh, that's sort of the next thing I wanted to touch on you with. Where do we go from here? We saw last week heading into the midterms, everybody was kind of like lining up. But then the way things have gone over the course of the last few days since Tuesday, we're seeing a lot of rumblings coming anywhere. Josh Hawley has come out extremely hard uh, talking about, you know, the Senate vote that Mitch McConnell wants to have next week before Herschel Walker's race is going to be done. Who even knows if Nevada or Arizona will even be called by by Friday or, or by next week when Mitch McConnell wants to have the vote for Senate leadership next year. You thought that we were only going to see maybe an Emmers versus Banks for Republicans. Republican whip in the House, but now Matt Gates has put his foot down and it seems like he's got a pretty growing delegation behind him that's going to, you know, basically say if, if Kevin McCarthy doesn't have the votes on, on the House floor, then they're not going to get behind him and they're actually going to gum this whole situation up. There looks to be where they want to have a Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump civil war. They're actually enacting one on themselves by the results of the mismanagement that came from this midterm election cycle.
10: OK, so, so the way I described it to uh, a friend of mine on the telephone earlier um, was that was that the, the avalanche has already begun and and it, it was always going to begin immediately after the midterm elections. That's just the nature of your politics nowadays. And if and if you don't have a strong enough stomach for it, you know, make yourself a chamomile tea, wrap a little blanket around yourself and hide in the corner for the next two <laughs> years because it's going to get even dirtier. Right, so the avalanche has already begun. the The job of the serious analysts, the sane minded, the sober at the moment, is to try and channel it so that it doesn't destroy the village beneath. Right, but that you can use the the impetus and and the the um, momentum of that to actually go after your real opponents and enemies here. Right, you can harness the power of this avalanche that is hitting the GOP right now, and Yes, you're absolutely right that the fight will be going on in the circles that the McLeadership don't want it to go in. They see that as necessary collateral damage on themselves, but something that they can control. I believe it is incumbent upon every MAGA person out there to make sure that they cannot control it and they lose control of it. And that they have to reckon with these hard questions like where the hell are the lawyers in these states that are still counting and still finding ballots and Washoe County CCTV goes off you know, yeah. on election night and so yeah. on and so forth, where are the challenges? Because they're less prepared for it this time than they were in 2020, as if that was even possible. As if that was even possible. They are less prepared this time than they were two years ago, and the other p- constituent part of what you have to understand about this civil war at the moment is when I say the avalanche has already started. You have to understand the money interest here, and the money interest is that there are there are too many consultants, there are too many jobs on offer, there are too many um, social media firms and uh, you know everybody, ad firms and all of this who desperately want the business from all of these different candidates, and they'll take one if they can get it, and they'll take all of them if they can get it too, whereby they won't let this calm down. It will never calm down because there's too much of a money-motivating factor for the fight to be had right now. And everybody can scream, can't we wait until Georgia is over, until they're blue in the face. You tell it to the people who rely on these fights to the tune of millions upon millions of dollars a month, to pay for their homes, their fancy cars, you know, their dinners at Joe's or the Capitol Grill or everything here. You tell it to them, hey, we can wait until Georgia. They will laugh in your face. And so you you don't have an option there. You are living a fait accompli. Your job now is to figure out how to channel that avalanche rather than try and build a wall to stop it because you ain't stopping it.
1: No, we certainly aren't. Do you think personal opinion that anybody from the McLeadership is held accountable at, at, in regards to not holding a leadership position moving forward? Will they find people to challenge Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, even Steve Scalise and Ronan McDaniel? Ronald McDaniel re- has. We've been saying it since. Day one, she needs to go, and this is like a, a resounding, uh, just steaming pile of dung on her record uh, this election cycle, and uh, there, there are a lot of people calling for change. Uh, people like Lee Zeldin, who, who probably make an amazing GOP chair, but uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, if we're going to be heading into the general election, and every time this lady goes out and talks about nationalist populism, America First, mm-hmm. MAGA movement, or Donald Trump, it looks like the demons are going to exit her body. We just can't have that anymore.
10: Yeah, I listen, I I have I have always had just an insane amount of uh, you know probably not even rational amount of disdain for anybody that hypes Ronald McDaniel in any way shape or form. I just think I think it it, it it's kowtowing to somebody who has one of the worst records as RNC chairman ever and and yet there are ostensibly maga people out there who continue to support back and, and project her onto, onto the MAGA base. It's, it's nonsense. They should be told to knock it off. Um, and, and, you know, we don't want to eat that shit anymore. Yep. Um, unfortunately, it's been shoveled down our throats long enough. Oh, yeah. um, and your question is, will anybody be held accountable? Well, uh, the, 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 the McLeanership believes that they can offer a compromise to the America First base, in, in, probably in the shape of not having Tom Emmer as house Whip they will probably end up turning around and saying, well, we could probably do someone like Jim Banks. And and while that would be a good thing, um, I don't think it goes anywhere close enough to making amends here. The problem is they they now have to keep this fight in the news cycle because as soon as this fight between Trump and DeSantis is out of the news cycle, the real fight inside the GOP and for the top of the GOP will be laid out to bear for everybody to see. And they just simply cannot afford for that to happen. Because, because if, the, if, the, if the ordinary people who, you know, I, I appreciate that there are lots of ordinary people who listen to this podcast, but for the, for the hundreds of millions of ordinary people around the country who may, you know, go out and vote once in a while or send a check to a political candidate once in a while, but they're not really listening to political podcasts and they're not really watching the political news every night and they're not listening, they're not reading my substack if they were to find out where their money had really gone and where their support had really gone, well, you know, you you might have something uh, akin to a mass demonstration outside, you know, the RNC in DC.
1: I mean, it just seems like it's going to be really interesting moving forward. And I love the point that you made about once the initial phases of Ron, Ron versus Don, Don gets out of the news (laughs) cycle, because here's the thing. Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram on, on the conservative networks, and then everybody on, you know, the the left side who's having all of their winners on and candidates on. You know, obviously these Fox News cycles have been regurgitating the same candidates for like the last two weeks. First it was hyping them up. Now it's when are we going to get the results. When those guys go and you start bringing on sitting congressmen, it's going to be interesting when Tucker, who could get anywhere up to like 4.5 million people a night, start bringing on Matt Gaetz, Chip Roy, Jim Banks, and friends every night to talk about how Ronald McDaniel, Kevin McCarthy, and Mitch McConnell need to go. It sounds like, you know, Rick Scott's been at the forefront of this, but now you have people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, you know, calling for impeachments, calling for change in leaderships, going down to Georgia and working with the America First candidates and all over the country, and uh, just have them going on, spitting out narratives every night that the GOP's broken and we're in for a bigger dumpster fire in 2024 if we don't gut the leadership right now. You're right, it's going to spill over. And, and first, MSNBC and, and CNN and, and CBS will start to make fun of it, but but then it will be coming, you know, to pretty much engulf the news cycle about the turmoil, like you said, that's going on at the top of the GOP leadership.
10: It's, and it's a much more interesting story, and it's a much more um, accessible thing for ordinary people to have a say in and to exercise sway upon than this than this silly little fight between Trump. And 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 Ron DeSantis' donors, which is effectively what this is right now, by the way. Yep. Um, and uh, I think, I, uh, I, you know, it, it it comes back to the old, you know, crap that unfortunately people are forced to do all the time, which is make those phone calls, send those letters you know, get, have your voice represented in Kevin McCarthy's office, loud and clear, tie up those phone lines and say to him, look, you got two options, right? You can go quietly or you can go loudly. Yep. Um, but 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 one way or another, your agenda, Mister California Congressman, who who you know bunk beds with Frank Luntz and <laughs> and, and and you know hangs out with with what's the, what's the, you probably know this better than I do right now the uh, Jeff Miller, yep. you know Jeff Miller, yep, yep, yeah, real yeah.
1: real interesting. Well, we'll call him bedfellows. Mm. <laughs> so you know. Well, we do, could, he, have you have
10: you told your audience about Jeff Miller? We have not gotten into that. You want to give a little dispo? Well, I think I think we'll 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 do a longer form piece on this at some point. But this is you know this is Mister. Mr. Amazon lobbyist, Mr. Big Tech, Big Pharma lobbyist. And he just also happens to be one of Kevin McCarthy's best friends. He goes around Washington, D.C. saying, you know, oh, let me call Kevin. I'll get Kevin on the phone. He can sort this out for this big corporation or he can do a change in policy with this. Or he'll throw out a tweet for me on that. Politico recently actually did um, kind of a kind of a hype piece about Mr. Miller, which shows his influence with Kevin McCarthy. But uh, I think people should take this as an instructional article about where not to trust, where not to place any trust. Uh, it goes so far as to say, unfortunately, right now, that even if you're a mild-mannered, uh, wait-and-see type, uh, m- Kevin McCarthy is irredeemable. Yes. He is irredeemable as a leader. Get it, Get it out of your head that you can steer him to your direction. The only place you can steer him is to the scrap heap of history.
1: Yep. Well, that's what we've been saying for a long time. we 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 get a lot of this narrative off of obviously a lot of the stuff that you've shown us over the years, Raheem. What's coming up next for you at the National Pulse? What do you got going on over there? Uh, Obviously, your sub stacks are coming out at all the time. Very informative. We try to share them across all our social medias. After I read them, I kind of give a little dispo and put them out there as well. Just trying to get more subscribers for you because, uh, listen, if the narrative you were putting out there was off base or severely opinionated to the fact that it took away from the context, but it's the context that I think our listenership uh, likes reading about yours the most.
10: Well, I appreciate that. You know, I... Not to toot my own horn here, but, um, you know, we just uh, moments ago had um, President Trump sharing out uh, our National Pulse article from yesterday on this topic. Awesome. Um, I, I happen to know that, that he is also a reader of the Substack from time to time. Um, uh, you know, I was at Mar-a-Lago last week uh, or this week rather earlier this week. Feels like such a long time. Yeah. Um, observing what was going on within within his sort of inner circle. Uh, and figuring out figuring out what's going on there from a from a professional perspective and a professionalization perspective um, and you know we we continue at the pulse to I, I suppose I should come up with a term for this uh, because because we're moving out of, of the sort of straight process news stories now and into where I feel a little bit more comfortable, which is telling people, you know, what's really going on and like the behind the scenes information and analysis that I think going into the next two years is going to be more valuable than just than just straight news Uh, as as much as I as much as I have enjoyed doing this, this, this straight news in that sense for so long. And so that's where we're moving with that. We've got a whole host of new external contributors who have come on board and they'll be publishing uh, some more of them over the course of the weekend and so forth. And, um, you know, of course, you and I have our, our big plans over the course of the next few months, but we won't, we won't, say, we won't say too much about that mm. just yet. You know, little little tease for the audience there, mm-hmm. and then the substack I've got to tell you um, is is growing at a pace that I didn't I didn't uh, expect it to grow at. This last one that I did the other day was one of the, the the best read ones I think, if not the best read one I've ever I've ever done, and it was funny because the day before I wrote that one. I actually did just a short review about Matthew Perry's new autobiography, <laughs> and I thought to myself, mm, you know, I can't really publish something that that tangential immediately after my most read Substack ever. Otherwise, people are going to go, "What? What if I subscribe to exactly here?" Um, but it's it's you know, it's I love I love that Substack because uh, so many people have subscribed now. We're nearly at fifty thousand subscribers on the Substack alone. Nice. And and you know that means people are getting it in their email boxes every time I put something out. It's a very powerful tool, and it's, a, it's such a powerful tool in the sense that now I get messages from people, you know, high up people in in the political world, saying you know, hundreds of people have sent me your Substack this morning, and I'm just like, wow, that, that is that is genuinely uh, humbling, which is a, which is a hard emotion for me to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. Um, we got. So much more coming in the next uh, in the next couple of months, as you know. So stick around and stay tuned.
1: We certainly will be doing that. We'll be also seeing you hopefully still on our 200th episode of the show uh, in a, in a few weeks, and and between now and then, obviously, we're going to be sharing all of your content out there, uh, Raheem. For people that aren't already following the National Pulse, or you on social medias? Anything you want to give out, please do. We're going to link uh, the Pulse, your Substack, and your social medias in the uh, show description today.
10: Yeah, look, I think that's it. Uh, You know, rahimkassam.com automatically uh, redirects to the Substack just to make it easier for people. And um, that is where we are going to end up spending more and more of our our time. Uh, You know, the external contributors and contributions will go up on the pulse. Uh, But if you really want the the, the really cool behind-the-scenes stuff, get over to the Substack, because I've got to tell you as well that the the Substack is free for now. Um, but it's becoming a it's becoming a massive massive burden on my time, and so you want to get in you want to get in at this point.
1: Mm. Well, you certainly do. Listen, Raheem, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule between the midterm elections, thanks, Mar-a-Lago, and all the stuff you got going on today, plus the stuff with the pulse. Obviously, great to have you on the show and get some fire commentary. This is the editor in chief of the National Pulse, Mr. Raheem Kassam. Thanks for joining us again on the show.
10: Thanks, guys. Have a great one.
1: Take care.
11: Ron DeSantis blew the doors off last night, curb stomping Charlie Christ. A 20-point victory, the biggest Republican victory in the history of Florida.
3: Thanks to the overwhelming support of the people of Florida, we not only won election, we have rewritten the political map. Thank you for honoring us with a win for the ages.
11: DeSantis won the governorship in 2018 by 0.3%. So from 0.3% to 20%, he's built a coalition that's scaring the hell out of the Democratic Party. What is the lesson you are drawing here in terms of the Hispanic vote, how alarmed should Democrats be?
12: Well, in Florida, it's catastrophic. So obviously we saw great erosion in 20 in the presidential race. And let's remember, Barack Obama won in 2012, basically tied the Cuban vote, got over 70% of the Hispanic vote. So the Obama coalition in
11: Florida is gone. DeSantis won Miami Dade, which is 70% Hispanic. That's what happens when you don't call Hispanics tacos. He won Cubans, but he also won Puerto Ricans in the Orlando area. He absolutely crushed it. But if you ask the media, Hispanics hate Ron, they just got tricked. There's going
5: to be a question in Democratic circles. I mean, have we lost uh, Florida now to the Republicans? They've been very slowly losing uh, Florida to the to the Democrats, I mean, to the Republicans. And, and when I see those numbers, blue Miami-Dade, as you can see in that map, uh, Miami-Dade is probably the bluest uh, county in the state. And really, it's the Democrats that have themselves to, to blame for this.
11: Well, did the rich liberals who winter in Palm Beach get tricked, too, because DeSantis cleaned up in Palm Beach County, another blue county. DeSantis won Florida by a bigger margin than Gavin Newsom won California, which should really stick in Gavin's hair gel. And everyone was so worried about all these blue state Democrats, you know, fleeing places like New York to Florida and turning it blue. But turns out Florida, man, made him red. This is what happens when you take a strong stand on the issues. This is what happens when you go on offense. Ron DeSantis kept the state open during the pandemic while the media called him a mass murderer. He confronted Disney, the most iconic and profitable company in the state, and he was rewarded for that because he listened to parents and wasn't scared of the press. And he's effective. Just ask the liberals of Martha's Vineyard. And he's competent. You don't even hear about the Cat 5 hurricane anymore. The state's recovering much faster than expected. They run clean elections, too. They tell you who won that night. They counted 7 million ballots. It's done. It's going to take a whole week for Arizona to count 2 million. Florida is now a solid red state, not a swing state anymore. And so what does this mean for the next presidential election? Ron DeSantis is the hottest Republican governor in the country with a strong record, even though his wife is really his secret weapon. And Donald Trump's already calling him names. The former president may be announcing his plans next week, does DeSantis enter the primary with Trump? That sounds vicious. Ron well,
1: well, I guess you could uh, kind of give it to where Fox News is going. We've shared a lot of stuff on social media. We've produced a lot of receipts. We'll get into... Don Don versus Ron Ron a little bit later. Um, We we did touch on it with our guest, Raheem Kassam, who, again, is always a pleasure to have on the show. Mm -hmm. I know he gave the little tease there of some stuff that's in the works. All we can say for our listenership is, let's see what happens. And uh, we'll keep it at that for now. Um, But what we're not going to keep away from you is the fact that Ron DeSantis and the entirety of the ticket there in Florida overperformed. We've gotten some, some new great House representatives like Corey Mills, Steak for Breakfast Enjoyer, Anna Paulina Luna, not so much, but whatever. I mean, she had an oldie fans or whatever, stuff like that. Ron DeSantis is obviously going to be the governor there, and Marco Rubio, Rick Scott, cleaned up as well. So we're kind of sitting pretty. I like it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Everybody was kind of working together to fix a lot of the complaints that we talked about at the top of our show today, and you can see when you have a governor who's willing to actually do some of the work, uh, we will kind of uh, get better results a la getting 7 million votes counted in a couple hours rather than 2.2 million votes over the course of 10 business days. You can't, you
0: can't tell me that people don't think that. I mean, if the shoe was on the other foot mm-hmm. and this shit was happening mm-hmm. and the Democrats were losing, they wouldn't be like, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit. Like, I mean, come on. Give me a break.
1: It's funny that you say that, Noah, because I did see something uh, that was pretty similar to that this morning. Um and and it's just you know funny how these things continue to work out. Um and that's the thing. Like Florida could have totally, totally been like Arizona or Nevada right now, but the fact of the matter is is that he wanted to clean up the voting systems there and the way the electorate is ran, and he did it. Um again, we'll we'll remind you guys because we've had people like Anthony Sabatini on the show. We've talked to him. Sometimes Ron DeSantis needs to get the the little bit of a nudge to be, you know, what we would consider ultra MAGA. But the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, he did a good job cleaning up the voting system there. Stay for breakfast appreciates him and all of his duties as governorship. And and we will continue to appreciate him as the governor of Florida, hopefully through the next election cycle, because that's literally where he belongs. I mean, if you think the work is done, it's not. And, uh, you know, we really need to take into account that we finally turn Florida back to like a red state and not a swing state that we could start to focus, um, you know, just exactly what's going on uh, in the rest of the country now and, and use that kind of as a model. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those things. You can't really hurt DeSantis for some of the stuff that's coming up because a lot of it is induced by the media. As Raheem Kassam said, you are not seeing Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump right now, you are seeing Ron DeSantis's advisors, his handlers fighting with Donald Trump on social media right now, getting and leaking into their contacts in the mainstream media. And, And, you know, that's not really what we want to have to focus on right now. We've got two Senate seats that are up for grabs in Nevada and Arizona right now. And, uh, you know, we'll, he- we'll hear we've got some breaking news on uh, during our show time, which is early afternoon on the West Coast about Kerry Lake. And, uh, you know, we've got the runoff coming on December 6th in Georgia, which I think is, is probably going to be the uh, power for control in the Senate after we get these results coming in here soon. Uh, Ron DeSantis gave quite a decent victory speech. Uh, Obviously, he was enthused for the work that he did and the job that they got done in Florida. As we're doing midterm election roundup now, let's hear from the governor of the Sunshine State.
3: You know, over these past four years, we've seen major challenges for the people of our state, for the citizens of the United States, and above all, for the cause of freedom. We saw freedom in our very way of life and so many other jurisdictions in this country wither on the vine, Florida held the line. We chose facts over fear. We chose education over indoctrination. We chose law and order over rioting and disorder. Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and, indeed, across the world. We faced attacks. We took the hits. We weathered the storms. But we stood our ground. We did not back down. We had the conviction to guide us. And we had the courage to lead. We made promises. We made promises to the people of Florida, and we have delivered on those promises. And so, today, after four years, the people have delivered their verdict. Freedom is here to stay.
1: That's kind of where you would think that someone like Ron DeSantis, who ran a good campaign and increased his uh, overall winningness by 19 plus points in the course of a term, would would be at emotional and ecstatic celebration, uh, to say the least. And I think it's it's good for the country to have good governors. We, we hopefully will be adding some more. Obviously you've heard Ronald McDaniel outline several times on the show already that, you know, one of the big crown jewels of the midterm election season for the establishment GOP leadership is that they didn't lose any governorships, but I mean, for the ones that we are hopefully going to be adding here, um, you know, it, it, it was a good job. So I, I just think that, uh, you know, when you, when you start to break it down and, and in the fine things, the, the fine print of things like Raheem said, this is going to at some point in the near future be ushered out of the uh, news cycle. And when you get there, it's, it's kind of, what are you left with? You're left with the actual disaster um of what's going on right now. So, and that's what the Republican leadership's, it, there was a reason why Joe Biden, you know, felt like he it almost felt like he was taking a victory lap the other day at mm-hmm. his press conference. And it's because of this and, you know, we'll get to that in news too, but, it's just, you know, funny how some people have just want to talk about two different men's success and make it as that they have to combat each other because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's a shame, you know, because that's not really where we need to be. And, and, and because you have a lot of personalities and something looks shinier, um, you know, it's it's. Not necessarily the best choice. NBC, they would continue down this path right here, talking about how one of the biggest things that they lost in Florida, besides pretty much every election possible, was the uh, Latino vote and and the shock level of uh, seeing these numbers come in. Let's hear them kind of cope and seethe.
13: Latino vote has been so interesting. We obviously have the results in from Florida, but, uh, you know, Democrats cannot take the Latino vote for granted. It's
8: interesting. You know, I'm convinced that there is no Latino vote. There are just Latino voters and they vote differently depending Mm -hmm. on their sensitivity, their life experience, even where their parents and grandparents are from. But I've been talking to, you know, Chuck Todd, I think the story, there's 34.5 million Latino eligible to vote in this election 15 percent of the electorate is latino that's a massive amount of people and i think that where it's been and it's an outlier no doubt is florida yeah. the the impact of latino voters in florida desantis winning majority the cuban vote majority of the puerto rican vote in that i-4 corridor uh 55 percent of the puerto rican vote 50 percent of all of the other latino Voters in the state of Florida, Miami-Dade. He's going
5: to out-poll Marco Rubio in his
8: in Miami-Dade. Yeah. Yep. in Miami-Dade. Well, Marco Rubio didn't win his county. Right. Uh, you know the last time he, he ran, but I think that that it's important to recognize the strength of the Latino vote throughout our country. And you know we know uh, you know Nevada. We know California. Uh, first senator, first Latino senator uh, for the state of California. Now reelected. Uh, he, it's interesting. There really isn't a Latino vote. But it, but it, but is Florida now a solid red state? Seems to me like it's a solid. No longer a swing state. It's a solid Republican state for now. But it's more a DeSantis
6: state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. And DeSantis, you know, Jose, Berger, I had a Democratic consultant say to me, I, "I'm ty- We we got to stop putting Latinos in a box and trying to like treat them as African Americans. That if oh. there's one issue that will somehow Oof. unite." That Latino voters are are just what Jose said. Stop trying to single them out. Instead, whatever you're pitching, swing voters, pitch that to Latino voters. That demographics and just like the same thing, how we carve up the white vote in those different buckets. But, that's how you would. The Latino vote is no different.
1: But- oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the stuff they're allowed to get away with on uh, fake mainstream media news. No, but it's Can you like- imagine
0: saying that on the other side? They would just they would rip us apart. Yeah.
1: They certainly would, and it's a shame. But you know that's that's kind of where they're at. Yeah, you know, they they want to talk about human beings as like living cross tabs, and it's it didn't work out for them this time. But I mean, let's see: open borders, rampant crime, record inflation, energy crisis. Mm-hmm. They're teaching your kids how to give hand jobs in school, and if they want to cut off their yeah, that's uh,
0: useful that's a useful skill. Sorry, it helps in the job market. Ask Kamala. Stop. Stop. <laughs> mm.
1: They're also, uh, what are they doing? Oh, if you want to get your your genitals or, or other apparatuses on your body cut off, they're going to do that and not tell you about it as parents. Um, you know, they went with the anti-God wholesomeness mm-hmm. family values ticket. and Listen, it didn't turn out in numbers like we thought of red wave-wise, but when you talk about messaging-wise in places in like Florida, it's just never going to resonate. Uh, vagina hats and... Uh, how dare you just is never gonna be something that, you know, the Latino vote is gonna curl up to. We all we also saw it in, in some components in Texas. Uh, you know, only one Monica de la Cruz, steak for breakfast enjoyer. Mm-hmm. Uh Myra Flores, steak for breakfast canceller twice and and oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, and then uh you had uh Garcia also, uh who, steak for breakfast never Answer backer. They didn't make, win, but <laughs> Mo- monica de la cruz came on steak for breakfast and here she is. Well, I mean not going to draw lines, but hey, listen. How many there? There was five, uh, three house, two senators, candidates that came on our show and got the Trump endorsement day of steak for breakfast debut. So we'll we will uh, just put that at that. You know, it's like uh, we may not have the interview yet with President Trump, but we definitely have the ear of people like uh, Taylor Botowich, Dan Scavino, obviously Cash Patel and Devin Nunes as well. So mm-hmm. you know, we'll just keep uh, moving it right along. You want to talk about? Trump Ws on election night we saw another sitting congressman uh ushered out the door because he was absolute garbage and uh looked like an idiot in their debate and we're talking about Ohio's Tim Ryan we're going to have a new maga senator there JD Vance let's hear part of his victory speech
0: uh, on a scale of 1 to fetterman how
1: bad was his uh debate performance probably mm. 3 fettermans 3 fettermans yeah oh man we, we just start something new <laughs> there we go get the <laughs> fetterman counter going let's hear JD Vance
2: Really, I, I cannot say thank you enough. I cannot express possibly in words how grateful I am, first to the people uh, on the, on this stage with me. And I just want to say, uh, you know, you can't do this without your family's support, and especially my beautiful wife, Usha. Thank you so much for helping me do this. The, the, and, and the great thing about having three young children, we have a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a ten-month-old. They're upstairs asleep. They have no idea what the hell is going on. I want to i want to thank my family. It's so great to have everybody here. Uh, Mom, Aunt Wee, everybody, Lindsay. I won't go through the entire list here, but Uncle Jimmy, Aunt Donna. It's funny. Uh, my family helps keep me grounded as we were walking down here. My aunt said to my uncle, aren't you glad that he won? That would have been a terrible ride home, right? That's uh, a... <laughs> That's what we're thinking here in the Vance family. We're, we we're, we're staying on top of the important stuff. Um, I, 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 I could not have done this. Could not have won this race. Could not have had what we, what we have here tonight. I mean, look, the governor and the lieutenant governor crushed it. Every other statewide office crushed it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to to Mike Dewine and John Houston. I'm so grateful to Bob Paduchik for helping us cobble together a unified Republican team, and we won, and we won big, ladies and gentlemen. What an incredible thing. Oh, my Lord. Um, And and I got to say, of course, I had so much fun going around campaigning with all the statewide officials. I had so much incredible experiences getting to meet people all across the state of Ohio. But thank you to the Ohio Republican Party. We just got a chance to govern. We just got a great chance to govern, and we need to use it. And I promise to all of my friends who are who are, who are going to be at the state house, to all of my friends who are going to be at the state capitol, we need better leadership in Washington D.C. And that's exactly what I promise to fight for every single day.
1: It's a great message from the uh, senator elect from from Ohio right now, and. Uh, you know, I think moving forward, that was probably one of the biggest W's we picked up on election night. Yeah, that was huge. Um, you know, with with those still outstanding, I mean, obviously, Dr. Oz didn't, wasn't able to get it done in Pennsylvania, but we still have, you know, Blake Masters up for debate. Adam I don't know how much I
0: believe Pennsylvania, to be honest.
14: No,
1: I mean, it, listen, it's that mail-in I mean, voting that we just don't do. When you, when you see the Republican turnout, they voted
0: in a dead guy.
1: I know, but that—that's a, a. I mean, that, that's just
0: down-ticket voting, though. That's yeah. just them checking the box for Democrat, but still.
1: But I mean, you, you have the seventy percent of Democrat votes in before the debate. You have rural[s] not turning out for Republicans on election day because there's not a huge name on the ticket like Donald Trump, and and this is the kind of stuff you have to, you know, be wary of running into come election time.
0: I think that debate would have drastically changed the political landscape of Pennsylvania.
1: When you talk about the small margin of victory for John Fetterman, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I actually think you're onto something there, Noah. Um, you know, but it's uh, it, it's just the way it was. You know, continuing across the spectrum here, Kevin McCarthy had an uh, easy victory in, in his California house race, and uh, we, we got a piece of his victory speech here, but we're going to get some commentary on the fallout from it after.
15: Thank you very much. Thank you all very much. I know it's a late night, but first I want to start by thanking every single candidate and their families for running. I also want to thank the staff and the volunteers across this country that supported this movement. Thank you to everyone who voted Republican for the very first time. And I want to thank the millions of supporters across this country. You know, two years ago, when I became leader, Republicans had less than 200 seats in the House. That cycle, we picked up 14 seats when every single person said that would be impossible. If you believe in freedom, hard work, and the American dream... Hey, that's me. ...these results proved that there is a place for you in the Republican Party. Mm. Now, tonight... We built upon those gains two years ago, and it is clear that we are going to take the House back. In New York, we defeated the Democrat campaign chairman, Sean Patrick Maloney. Sean Patrick Maloney. Which will be the first time in over 40 years a DCCC chair lost his reelection. Right. Not only that, but on Long Island, Anthony Diaz-Pacito won a seat that Joe Biden carried by 17 points. Mm. We are on the verge of historic gains in New York. In Florida, we gained four seats alone. Yep we are poised to sweep the entire state of Iowa. And I will tell you, from the southern border of Monica de la Cruz to Virginia Beach of Jen Kiggins, to Detroit with John James, and to Houston with Wesley Hunt, we are expanding this party. Now, let me tell you, you're out late. But when you wake up tomorrow, We will be in the majority, and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. The American people are ready for a majority that will offer a new direction, that will put America back on track. Republicans are ready to deliver it. It's a new direction towards an economy that is strong, where you can fill up your tank, Feed your family, where your paychecks grow and not shrink. A new direction towards a nation that is safe, where communities are protected, law enforcement is respected, and criminals are prosecuted. A new direction towards a future that's built on freedom, where children come first and are taught to dream big. And a new direction towards a government that is accountable, where government works for you instead of against you. Republicans will work with anyone who's willing to join us to deliver this new direction that Americans have demanded. But there's no time to waste. Our work begins now. Let's get America back on track. Thank you, God bless, and good night.
1: And that came at about 3 a.m. That's pretty good. I like it. California time. It is good, but, you know... Kevin, Kevin, Kevin. There were parts of that I was watching, his his uh, his body delivery there, his mannerisms, and he was harnessing a little Obama with the lean back with the mm. finger point thing. It's kind of weird. But, yeah. you know, I, I don't discredit his message, but at the end of the day, we all know what the ulterior motives is, and we, we really need to uh, tread lightly as that is going to get – I feel pretty vicious to see some of the senators come out against Mitch McConnell. And then looks like Matt Gates is going to be, I guess that's the best thing about not having a red wave is we might be able to take care of our Kevin McCarthy problem. Um, and, you know, I saw yesterday Russ Vaught, he jumped on Matt Gates' podcast Firebrand, and uh, you know was talking about this, and and you know Matt Gates lit that fire about Kevin McCarthy, not the you know the Freedom Caucus not wanting him to be Speaker of the House, and uh, they they went in on that with uh, after the you know press release came out that Kevin McCarthy was developing a transition team even now as we sit Friday, three days out of the midterms, and the majorities currently stand at about twelve thirty p.m. Pacific, Republicans two twelve. Democrats, 193. So they have still not obtained that majority in the House, and uh, I think we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's hear it.
16: I was a bit unsettled to see a recent tweet from Kevin McCarthy saying that he was already naming transition teams to uh, lead on various issues, and I thought, gosh, given that we haven't had our leadership elections yet, uh, for him to be setting up transition teams struck me as a bit premature. I wonder aloud whether or not some members uh, will feel as though that is already delegitimizing their vote even before he would presumably get the gavel.
14: Yeah, I think it's incredibly disrespectful to his members to be able to be that presumptuous when he knows he doesn't have the votes. We know he doesn't have the votes. We don't even know what his majority is. Uh, And so, you know, my hope is that's something that should offend members of Congress who have a vote on this and want to have a conversation behind closed doors about the direction of the Republican Party and the House of Representatives. And, and my view is on this is a member of Congress should do everything they can, and honestly, citizens at the local level should do this. Align your life so that your interests are about saving the country. You, you align your life so that you're serving God and saving your country, you're not gonna go wrong. And, and that's don't make this about a committee assignment. Don't make this about a chairmanship. Make this about what's necessary to save the country. And when you put that filter on, This is an easy decision, and your voters will reward you, and you'll be a a national leader
16: for it. Uh, There is a movement among some in the House Freedom Caucus to request a delay in the leadership elections because we don't yet know who will be a Republican member of Congress. Uh, I think out in Pennsylvania, they'll be counting for a few weeks. What a shame there in Arizona subject of a whole nother discussion, but, yep. uh, you know, the the concept of holding leadership elections without firming up the precise size of the majority and the precise membership of, of the Republican conference seems to, you know, really be dispositive. So I support the effort with the Freedom Caucus to delay leadership elections, at least until we know who will be our Republican team members and who will have a legitimate vote in that election. I mean, you know, it's something for us to go complain about illegal votes diluting elections in states around the country uh, to then allow people who might not even be elected to be casting votes in our leadership elections would presumably dilute the districts and constituencies that ultimately will be sending Republicans to be sworn in. So I want to clear on the record that I support that effort uh, from. So, what
1: do you think, Noah? I mean, the man makes a pretty valid argument.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't argue with, I mean, just the basics of how this shit's supposed to work.
1: You've, you saw Josh Hawley come out with the, with the same thing today. I do have a couple tweets to read. Um, let's see. Um, Josh Hawley. Is picky. well. Marco Rubio came out first, who had an amazing win on Tuesday. The Senate GOP leadership vote next week should be postponed. First, we need to make sure that those who want to lead us are genuinely committed to fighting for those priorities and values of the working Americans of every background who gave us big wins in states like Florida. P- pretty self-explanatory. Like pump the brakes, Mitch McConnell. We aren't going to have our full you know Senate team until December sixth, right? Josh Hawley quoted that tweet and added commentary almost immediately. Exactly right, Marco. I don't know why Senate GOP would hold a leadership vote for Congress next week before this election in Georgia is finished. We have a runoff in hashtag Georgia Senate. Are they saying that that doesn't matter? Does GOP leadership want to disenfranchise at Herschel Walker? So,
0: hmm.
1: yeah. And uh, we all know, you know, Herschel Walker really doesn't want to uh, vote for Mitch McConnell, I bet. He needs Trump endorsed in America first. Matt Gaetz weighed in from the House side this morning. Uh, the uh, Republican House member who won re-election in Florida won. Dear Kevin McCarthy, (laughs) you defunded Liz Cheney when Jan Bishop first sought her ouster and told GOP leadership Trump should resign after January 6th. Now, segmenting, Kevin is flight over fight when the chips are down. He is not Speaker of the House material for these times. Can't say it any clearer than that. Yeah. So, um, you know, Defending Liz Cheney is almost incomprehensible In the Republican Party right now So, you know And, and speaking of Big Hirsch uh, We did hear from Not Donald Trump enjoyer, uh, Re-elected Secretary of State in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger mm. Or Rassensperger As Mike Gundell calls him yeah, he, he. There you go, let's hear him talking about uh, Where that race is going as we all know <laughs>
15: There is one race in our state that is going to be moving to the December 6th runoff. That is the race for the United States Senate between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Our office has already begun the behind-scenes work to start building the ballots. So ballots are being built as we speak.
12: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's all we've got out of there. There was one funny clip. That I just thought was so over the top, um, it had to make it to the show. Uh, it, it comes from one of our saddest defeats, and that is uh, the Oz v. Fetterman race, which Noah is calling technically not a win.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, it's a loss
1: for America. Jen Psaki led a panel day after elections to talk about John Fetterman's win and propose something that I don't think you could even find <laughs> conceivable. <laughs> Let's hear it.
7: And as a nominee at some point for president, oh. um, I know there's some variables, obviously, oh. but just you. Just you, but I just, you know, it, it, what he did in the in the super red, deep red parts of Pennsylvania and the way that he ran ahead of Biden, as you were saying, ran ahead of Trump. I mean, it just makes it makes you wonder about his future.
1: What do you it, think it, about presidential nominee John Fetter? Um, oh, scissor me timbers.
0: So it looked like the other people in the panel thought that was a joke, yeah. Like the uncomfortable giggles you hear in the background, and if you watch it, like they're waiting for the punchline, like there's no other way to look at it. They're waiting for the punchline.
1: How do you feel about Senator Retard being the next presidential nominee? Ooh, oh man, it was uh. It was interesting.
0: It's his teleprompter work is going to be a step above Biden because literally anything you put on the teleprompter, Fetterman will read.
1: True story. I mean, maybe he'll read it. He might. Because he is for fracking. And And also for fracking. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. You, you, You can't make this shit up. Like Pennsylvania, what the fuck are you doing? Like you got a dead guy and a brain dead guy. Congratulations! So you are the weakest link.
1: What do you want first? Last two clips of news one midterm election roundup is Laxalt Lake news. Okay. Or I can go through Trump tweets over the last twenty four hours. Trump truths. We just do both. Which one do you want first? Oh, let's
0: do uh, let's do the audio.
1: Audio. All right. So we'll end with commentary. Let's hear from hopefully the next senator from the Granite State, Nevada. Uh, Adam Laxalt he jumped on with Tucker last night to give a campaign update.
6: Laxalt is living through this right now. He's running for Senate from the state of Nevada. As we told you earlier, he joins us from there now. Adam Laxalt, thank you so much for coming on. What is the state
12: of your race tonight? Well, we feel really, really strongly about where this race is heading. Uh, we've been in lead, obviously, uh, since election night. Uh, that lead has shrunk over the last few days, uh, but... She does not have the amount of votes left to be able to catch us. She'd have to win by over 63%. Uh, and it's important to note, since most of the national media is not covering this, the Las Vegas mail ballots that are being reported include Election Day drop-off mail. That mail is absolutely not going to break like you know traditional mail through the USPS. Those are Election Day voters. And just to give you an example, in Washoe County, we had more Republicans drop off election day ballots than Democrats. And so, again, as we put out the math for the world, she has to win by over 63% of all of this. Uh, And we think that these election day ballots you know could break even we could stand to lose them by 15 20 points and we would still hold and so we feel like we're in a great great position mm. and uh just super proud of my team and uh, a lot of hard work incredibly tough race but uh let, we're, we're going to win this thing hopefully and uh be an important race for the country and my great state well we certainly
6: uh, agree with all of that But we should know by now. It's been two days and Clark County, Nevada, where most of our viewers have been since it's one of the country's biggest tourist destinations, is one of the most technologically advanced places in the world. You built a replica of the Eiffel Tower in your county. Everything is automated in Clark County, Nevada. So I'm honestly confused as to why they can't give us the results of an election within a few hours.
12: You know, I absolutely believe we need to get rid of ballot harvesting and drop boxes and universal mail out balloting. There's no reason. First, we don't even have we don't even have voter I.D. We need voter I.D. We need Election Day counting, uh, as everyone keeps pointing out, if Florida can do a 21 million people, with 3 million people in Nevada, we should know the results of the election. And you know, here's what people's missing is the human toll. Never mind like the democracy right. piece, which is obviously the most important. You have campaigns and staffs that are now just continuing for 20 hours. When is the campaign over? When do you get to tell your supporters, "Thank you for everything you did. We've won." You know, when do you get your family to actually breathe that it's over? Uh, This system is very, very flawed. And by the way, everyone knows it. I think Republicans and Democrats think this is just an astonishing process. And I don't think in Clark County, we did so much to make sure this was a secure election. We have lawyers everywhere. We had election observers. Uh, We feel confident that the votes, the the, the register announced today, there are just over 50,000 more mail votes and, you know, it's total 70,000 tops. So we know the universe and we feel comfortable with the universe. But nonetheless, we need to change the system. Yeah. I mean, it's like a Roman
6: siege. They're trying to wait you out. Mm. Uh, but we'll be following you. Adam Lexalt, I appreciate you coming on tonight. Good luck.
1: Can't wait for uh, Senator Lexalt. I hope that uh, everything remains the way it is. He's still in the lead, and those votes are, are getting less and less for Cortez Masto to uh, make up the difference. But. You know, one of the things that I like Tucker in that piece right there, Noah, is that he added that whole, he brought the human component out of Adam Lexall. And Adam Lexall can rattle off politics just with everybody. He could stay on point. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, when he came on, he was pretty hardcore on some of the things. He got even broke it down, not only just the open borders and fentanyl crisis, he talked about like the human sex and children trafficking component that goes along with that and was really adamant about getting that cleaned up in, in, in Nevada. But, uh, you know, to see these guys, I can, I can only imagine how the Masters family, the Lake family, obviously the Laxalt family, everybody that's involved, Fincham and Abe, uh, you know, just have to sweat it out. And uh, it got to the point to where, like, day after the elections, everybody that we talked to from, like, let's just say, for instance, the Lake and Blake campaign, they were at campaign headquarters. And then, you know, by the time it got to yesterday, which is Thursday, you see Carrie Lake doing interviews back in her house. And, you know, we're, I'm texting with Erica during the day, and she's home. She's like, what are we going to go down there for 20 hours for them to tell us there's still a billion ballots left for them to count? And the only numbers that they're dropping right now are the ones uh, for the opponent when they know an overwhelming large majority of the day-in, mail uh, drop-off, day-of, and and people that showed up on election day to vote. That's all going to break for the Republican candidates. So I I mean,
0: not to get out my tinfoil again too early.
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: brought it out on election night. Okay. Most of it was for ribs. Mm. But— you you can only expect that the—I mean, they don't—what do they have to gain by making
1: it look like Kerry Lake is losing? Is it Demo- just because— Demoralization, and it takes—did you hear Ron DeSantis at the top? Yeah, Ca- but the— Carrie de- Lake's not going to get to do that. Even if she does do it, it's like you, you're, you're having that speech for people that have been on, like, a week-long bender. So they're like, yay, I'm—they're, like, so relieved it's over. Yeah. It's like, not relieved we won.
0: But is it more— And here's the tinfoil. Is it more along the lines of they're making it seem more reasonable when they inject boxes full of uh, fraudulent ballots into into the mix? I mean, why else would you need so much time? Why else would there be... What, where was it? Where the uh, the cameras went off? Nevada. Nevada? Like, I mean, is that that seems sketchy? In the me.
1: Washoe County clerks, the, the the stronghold for the Democrats, where they had a lot of that early voting come in, it just went off in the middle of the night, and they're looking into it, finding I, out. I just
0: can't see any reason why you would look at any of this stuff, whether it's a broken water main, cameras going out, uh, unable to count ballots in Be- a timely fashion,
1: being up by nine hundred thousand votes in Pennsylvania, just randomly
0: losing. randomly stopping where we're gonna stop, you know, for I mean yes. Yeah, Good for Veterans Day, but I I think that a lot of veterans would just rather get this done. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm going to go get some free breadsticks at Olive Garden. Mm. You guys keep counting.
1: Yeah. I tell you what, Noah, you couldn't be closer to the point right there, and that's an excellent one you make. I am going to do Trump Truths before we get to our last audio clip of News 1 because I just feel like uh, heading into News 2, we're going to need to spice this up a little bit. Uh, Donald Trump came out swinging yesterday on Truth Social. I'm going to read a veritable plethora of them and and help build this narrative, Noah, as I don't think you've seen any of these yet. Now that the midterms are over and a success, News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious as an (laughs) average Republican governor with the great public relations who didn't have to close up the state but did, unlike, any, unlike some other Republican governors whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, who has the advantage of sunshine where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Ron came to me des- in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead. Losing in a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, meth user, (laughs) and gay sex enjoyer, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, no money, but said that if I would endorse him, he could win. Mm. I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. When I endorsed him, it it, it was as though, to use a bad term, a nuclear weapon went off. Nobody likes to use the N-word. Years later, they were the exact words that Adam Putnam used in describing Ron's endorsement. He said, I went from having it made with no competition to immediately getting absolutely clobbered after your endorsement. I then got Ron by the star of the Democrat Party, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead, (laughs) (laughs) by having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one. I also fixed this campaign, which completely had fallen apart. I was all in and all there for Ron. He beat Gillum, but after the race, when the votes were being stolen by the corrupt process in Broward County, and Ron was going down to 10,000 10, votes a day along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys, and the ballot theft immediately ended, just prior to them running out of votes for the necessary win. I stopped this election from being stolen. And now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. Fake news asked him if he's going to run for president, if President Trump runs, and he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race, and I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and absolute class, that's really not the right answer, Ron. This is just like 2015 and 2016, a media assault collusion when Fox News brought me to the end until I won, and then they couldn't have been nicer or more supportive. The Wall Street Journal loved low-energy Jeb Bush and a succession of other people that they rapidly disappeared from sight finally falling in line with me after i easily knocked them out one by one. He's not going to name names cuz they're all friends now. Oop. We're in exactly the same position now. They will keep coming after us, maga, but ultimately we will win. Put America first, make America great again. So that's that that kind of was going around yesterday. Pre- pretty fiery, mm-hmm. but mostly peaceful. Yeah. Um but th- but there were a couple of heaters today. Um you know, and it just seems that, well, it was the Glenn Youngkin one, I think, that was uh, top of mind for me. The top of mind? Stop it.
0: <laughs> You've said it so many times I this know. show.
1: Well, I think it's funny. Yeah. You know oh. I mean? Thank you. Uh, here, Here's a heater at, at Glenn Youngkin from today on Friday. Youngkin, two separate words. Now that's an interesting take. Sounds Chinese, doesn't it? <laughs> In Virginia, ah. Couldn't have won without me. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him, telephonically, got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. But he knows that and admits it. Besides, having a hard time with the Dems in Virginia, but he'll get it done. So, they cornered Glenn Youngkin this morning when he came out of his... They asked him if he was Chinese. Governor's office. They didn't ask if he was Chinese, but they asked him if he heard the uh, truth. Let's hear it. <laughs>
2: What's your reaction first of all I didn't see it um, we and, uh, and I have is to I, I have to be strong. honest I've been busy all morning um, listen I, I, I you you all know me I do I do not uh, call people names I I uh, really work hard to bring people together and that's what it's we're working on here. well that's what I'm saying and, and and I just that's not the way I roll and not the way I behave and uh, and I think again this is a moment for us to come together as a nation
1: Hot take, Glenn Youngkin
0: doesn't want that smoke. <laughs> he doesn't want MAGA smoke. He sounded like the the nerd from The Simpsons at the beginning. Excuse me, sir, I'm going to have
1: to ask you to leave. But But listen, as we're getting ready to jump into our first ever Truth Social content creator live series, version one, we do have to play just one more audio clip because breaking on the show today and just aired on Newsmax, it was sent to me. Um, we'll talk about this briefly after, is some news regarding the Arizona gubernatorial race. So let's hear what they have to say.
8: This is Arizona Republican strategist Brian Seichek. Uh, Brian, great to have you with us. Days and days and days to get those votes counted. Uh, your reaction to where things stand.
17: Well, first of all, I think it is safe to say we can say uh, Governor elect Lake. I am really very confident the votes are there for her. Let me first give you a recap of where the votes are. There's about 600,000 outstanding votes. 350,000 of those are election day drop off votes. Those are absentee ballots that have been dropped off. Those are going to be overwhelmingly. Republican. And of those 350, 250 are from Maricopa County, where where we just saw. So we know Lake is good. The question here is, is Blake Masters, are there enough Republican votes out there for Blake Masters and Mark Fincham to get across the line?
2: So uh, how do you see this playing out? Um, And make a comment, if you would, also about the process, the fact that we're here after going through these problems before, when the most important thing it seems like people want to see right now some integrity in the process so they can believe in it whatever the outcome is now there's the possibility people are going to have questions
17: well first the vote it's going to be very close you know right now a lot of people argue that masters is on the outside looking in but it's going to be very close and i think a recount is very likely the recount threshold in in arizona used to be a tenth of a percent now it's a half a percent. So that seems very likely. But as for the lawsuit, let's talk about that. So as I'm sure you and a lot of the viewers are aware, there were some there were lots of problems on Election Day in Maricopa County, which is the population center where Phoenix is 60 percent of the vote with the printing of the ballots and the tabulators reading those ballots. So the RNC and the Masters campaign and the Lake campaign immediately set up a lawsuit and try to get the vote extended so people had additional hours to vote. That was rejected by a judge just at the last minute. But the lawsuit still exists. And as what they're doing now is they're doing discovery. They're trying to find out how many people were impacted by that. Because here's the deal. There are, um, there are vote centers now in Maricopa County. So if you go, you can go to any vote center and vote. So people were walking in. They were having problems and then some of those poll workers were sending those voters to other locations but here's the problem they were not telling those people to check out so they went to other voting centers went to vote checked in and they said you had already voted because you checked in another location so they're trying so that's that's the crux of the issue here so they're trying to figure all of this out Uh, While the lawsuit was filed by Lake and Masters and the RNC all working together, the fact is it's really not a Lake problem. It's a Masters problem. Lake's going to be just fine. Like I said, I think we can call her governor-elect. It's uh, it's really going to impact Masters. And the original tally was that it only affected a small number of vote centers. But in the last 24 hours, we've learned that 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 impacted anywhere from 25 to 30, 35 percent of vote centers. So we're trying to.
1: Absolutely ridiculous. You know, that whole narrative out of Arizona. That's breaking
0: news. That is a good point, though. I mean, Carrie Lake. Most likely going to be fine, but that could really impact Masters'
1: Sure, when you talk numbers. about, you know, they, they like had said... 30, 30%, it, like... It was less than the teens on election day, but now we, we found out that it could be as many as, like, 35 to 37 voting centers. Uh, and, you know, we'll see. We I, I don't want to play lawsuit roulette with this whole thing but listen if that's what it's going to take to get Blake Masters and, and he's the honest to godly elected next senator from the state of Arizona and so that,
0: so what's going to happen is if he doesn't get over the line are they going to announce the other guys a winner and then try they have to try to overturn it
1: they would project Mark Kelly as the winner
0: but it would still be pending
1: and then Blake Masters wouldn't concede and then we'd see where it goes legally we haven't had one like this and in, in quite a few election cycles so yeah. I'm gonna to have to do a little research I'm gonna to have to hit that number one tab at the, the end of the show that we're supposed to be be doing in between all of them but uh you know man what can i say it's just you know feeling great about carrie lake i talked to carrie lake's team today during the show feeling great about her and you know i'll be completely honest with you from day one after the midterms they always felt that they had used the same blueprint as they did in the primary where Mm -hmm. carrie would seem like you know down in the 40s which she was Eventually tie, which is where they're sitting right now. I just checked. It's 50-50. Lake and uh, Katie Hobbs with all those votes still coming in, 60-ish percent of them. Well, probably 50 to 60 percent of them will break for Carrie Lake, which would be more than enough to put her over the top. But the Blake Lake team had said from Balaki (laughs) after the, you know, from Wednesday morning. It was going to be more of a struggle for Mark Fincham and Blake Masters than it would be for Carrie Lake and Abe Homiday. A lot of people don't like that hot take. Uh, A lot of people pushed back on me that I said, hey, listen, this is what I'm hearing from people that are at election headquarters. But the fact of the matter is it's just the way it seems that people voted a little bit less for Blake Masters and, and, and Mark Fincham. Maybe. Uh, we'll still have to see after those votes are counted. I don't even want to take, you know, the information that I'm getting from from these people that are counting the votes and the team that is around it, and and, and form a, like a concrete narrative about it until we get everything in. But it's pretty. Uh, you know, relieving to hear that there is some light at the at the end of the tunnel, at least for Carrie Lake and moving forward. Hopefully for the rest of that ticket, because it is the, you know what we've considered the gold standard. All four of them have been such awesome parts of our entire midterm coverage over the last year and a half, and building relationships with all of them and having them all on multiple times. Uh, literally being in Carrie Lake's living room with her, bouncing the pug off of, you know, her knee and and and. Hopefully she will be very soon announced to be the next governor-elect of Arizona. But enough with the midterm election roundup. Let's uh, mellow the mood a little bit and uh, get a little country, if you know what I mean. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's coming in for the first time. She's a rising country music star based out of Tennessee right now. She's already got a hit platinum single this is part of our True Social Content Creator Spotlight series. Alexis Wilkins, thanks for joining us on the show.
18: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: We're happy to have you. How's everything going on your end? What's news with you?
18: Everything's great. Um, you know, doing things for Veterans Day with uh with Stand and was at the VA yesterday playing um in the morning at like six thirty. We brought Dunkin' Donuts in for um for the veterans and for uh for the nurses and employees there. And then today just, you know, working with Stand.
1: I like that. How's uh how's everything been on the road? You've been doing getting ready to uh take it back out there and, and you've just had some new content come out. You want to talk about that?
18: Yes. So we released stand last week um, and it ended up breaking uh, top 10 on the iTunes country charts, which was crazy to me. Thank you to uh, true social and, and cash and all of that team. Um, and then, yeah, I've been touring, um, going back out later this month and uh, through next month as well.
4: Yeah,
1: that's great. I listened to it in my car quite a few times. It's a, uh, I'm going to buy it right now. It's a pretty powerful song. Yeah, you got to make the purchase and uh, get in there with, with supporting our, our amazing content creators over at True Social, which is what I want to lead into next. How did that dynamic kind of go down? We know that uh, releasing a single off, off of True Social is something that, that quite a few people have been brave enough to do, but it's shown to have amazing success when they do it just because of the amount of people and uh, non-restrictiveness we have on there. How did that, uh, how'd you guys get connected and uh, how's that whole experience been?
18: Uh, so I met uh, I met Cash through John Rich and, and Devin Nunez as well, and um, they have just been so incredible and supportive, and I'm I'm so grateful. Um, we released the song, we released the video exclusively um, to Rumble and True Social on November 3rd, and then streaming on all platforms November 4th, um, which was really fun because you're releasing the video to an audience of people who. Um, Already appreciate the values and the message behind it, which uh, meant the world to me just because of what the song means to me, but also just the response was incredible.
1: Now, when you say you talk about the values and principles, obviously, those are are conservative values. Uh, You know, we appreciate the family, stand for the flag, support our troops, love our country. How has that been? received on, like, the larger stage while you're out there? I mean, I know there seems to be time and place for country music stars to get out there and, you know, be in certain parts of the country that are really receptive to that. But but nationally, have you seen it, it be fair or has it been hard at times to be, like, a conservative country music singer and, and have to go down that road of putting up with, you know, attacks that are usually unfounded just because of how you were raised and how now as an adult, you take it out and, uh, you know, express yourself through your music that way.
18: You know, it's interesting. My platform, um, has always been outwardly patriotic and following me, you're going to see flags. You're going to see the work that I do with veterans. And while that's not inherently uh, partisan, it definitely isn't going to attract a crowd that hates that Mm -hmm. you know uh, as we've kind of seen in the media and and in some other genres of music so what i found is that people who have been following me for a long time have um have really doubled down in how they feel about the music i make now that it's you know definitely making a patriotic statement um which I really appreciate because kind of going out there and, and I've never hidden the way that I feel um, about America and about patriotism and, and, and all of that, but it's definitely kind of going to the next level with it. And, uh, and the response has been great. I mean, you get certain people, but it's, you know, you're going to get that with any song you put out anyway. I think that people should feel empowered to, uh, to speak their truth because um the truth is there's a lot of us who feel this way and i think that people are hungry for music um sung by people who don't uh disagree with their values and don't don't hate the way they vote
1: no i i can see definitely where you're coming from there and i think it's great there is a lot of patriotic symbolism in 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 many of your videos for our people that are just listening today alexis has on an american flag shirt So uh, (laughs) she has brought it full force. But uh, without getting too much into politics, I mean, just want to kind of get one. You know, we kind of ask everybody this. The country's kind of been in a weird direction, maybe even downward. You consider it over the last couple of years when you talk about things like defund the police and defang the military and just the way, you know, the nuclear family and stuff like that, traditional values aren't looked at as something as important that makes this country as great as it's been in years past. Do you want to see it get back to some kind of... Level of greatness again that uh, makes everybody proud and makes us a country that's uh, representative of the values that we were founded on.
18: Oh yeah, I, I think that I think that that's that's the major goal here. I know that there's a lot going on, especially right now, and uh, I think when I look around, you know, I'm I'm I just want to see. Um, The America that you know my papa told me about like I that's that's the that's the patriotic values to me and um and I think that it's incredibly important right now um more than
10: ever
1: moving forward what's the calendar look like for you we know you're going to be getting busy do you have anything to tease with our listenership obviously the new single just came out is there going to be a full-length album to follow and uh what are you going to be doing over the next couple months heading into the holiday season
18: Yes. So um, I have an EP that is completely finished that I'm really excited about. And it looks like we're going to be um, releasing that at the top of the year. Um, I don't have a release date exactly yet, but it will be the top of the year. And then, um, you know, continue with Stand. And uh, and then I have a Christmas song called Old Fashioned Christmas uh, for the holiday season.
1: Nice, Nice. We're always looking for a Christmas song to put on our holiday special. So even though we do politics, we kind of keep do- it. Yeah, we keep it themed all the time. Now, Alexis, you told us offline you were going to be able to perform for us today. Do you want to let our listenership hear a little bit about what you're all about and, uh, you know, play a song for us?
18: Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Let me get uh, my guitar player, Carl, in here as well. Hello. <laughs> I normally play, but with Zoom, sometimes it sounds better to have the both of us. So One, two, three, four, five.
1: Loved it. Thank you so much, Alexis, for coming down with us today and spending some time with our listenership. I think after hearing you, uh, they're definitely going to be inclined to be checking you out a little bit more. For all of our listenership that's not following you, what's your website and any social medias that you might want our listenership to uh, get on board?
18: Uh, My website is AlexisWilkins.com and then I am at Alexis Wilkins on everything, True Social, Rumble, um, everything else.
1: That's perfect. We're going to live link that in the show description today. Obviously, we'll be sharing it on True Social and all of our social media. So if you see us, you want to give it a share, you can introduce our listenership to uh, Steak for Breakfast, and we'll be hoping to have you back at some point very soon, maybe closer to when you're getting ready to uh, launch your full-length album.
18: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Platinum recording, country music legend, Truth Social content creator spotlight. First edition, Alexis Wilkins. Thanks for joining us today on the show.
7: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. When it comes to your legislative agenda, when you were vice president, your legislative agenda basically ran into a brick wall two years in when Republicans took control of the House, and that lasted for the rest of the Obama presidency. Is there any way for you to prevent that same fate from happening this time around?
19: The fundraiser last month, you said, quote, the rest of the world is looking at this election, both the good guys and the bad guys. You oh. noted you're going to the G20 in a couple days. You'll come face to face with many of those leaders the same moment that your predecessor is considering launching his reelection effort. How should those world leaders, both good guys and bad guys, view this moment both for America and for your presidency? Mm-hmm. You, you noted that you felt like there was a shift in terms of. People being willing to show more decency in this moment. You've often talked about breaking the fever or kind of a transition from this moment that we've faced over the last several years. Do you feel like the election is what represents that? Do you feel like the fever is broken, I
7: guess? As you know, the Supreme Court has before it uh, the issue of college admissions and affirmative action. What can and are you planning in case of a rollback that is expected? There are legal analysts that say that there will be drastic implications, there are tentacles from this, and they even say that this could impact Brown v. Board, the decision from Brown v. Board, on humanity. Sir, you can't legislate and you can't executive order out the issue of empathy or the lack thereof in the midst of this rhetoric, this heated political rhetoric. What's next?
1: Uh-huh. Well, those were the top five dumbest questions that Oof. were asked to Joe Biden. Uh, well, he gave his first open press conference since January, but open to the point to where he was only allowed to call on who his handlers said he was allowed to call on. What's new? And, and That's and, the normal and, SOP. And things like you could hear that one reporter asking, he was literally asking like, where where are we going to get the money from Ukraine if the House won't approve it? Uh you know that's why he was talking about what do you think good guy and bad guy leaders across the world are saying looking at a house that won't won't approve your stuff.
0: Well on the Ukraine thing why don't we just skip to the end when they have to concede part of their territory mm-hmm. because that's that's where it's going to end regardless no matter what happens unless they fucking nuke Ukraine and then there is no Ukraine to 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 give up their area because well, nobody be... wants it cuz it's radioactive.
1: Would you consider that fiscally conservative?
0: Mm. <laughs> No, but just skip to the end. Why are we wasting money? It's like half your house is burned down and you're just going to continue dumping money on it and just wasting time. Like it, it's, it's half the house is burned down. Just be like, Hey, this half of the house is burned down. We're we're just going to just stop where we're at, put it out, start
1: over. Oh yeah. I mean, you're right. And that's the thing. Uh, you know we, we did have Joe Biden executively order 400 million more dollars over to Ukraine over the last 24 hours which brings our border wall total that is how many US southern border walls worth of cash have a cash aid and funding including military equipment have we sent over to the worst war zone in the history of war zones we're now sitting at 31 and 3 quarter US southern border walls we added some other stuff to that but For the most part, since this skirmish has begun. Uh, When he wasn't getting lobbed softballs like that or, you know, talking about affirmative action, and we'd like to remind our viewership who's new to the show, in case you haven't noticed, Clarence Thomas is black. Uh, He's recently read over the brief, and uh, he thinks it's stupid, and and so do a lot of people, and we should just get rid of that. Um, Everything from college admissions to the Rooney rule I think are absolute garbage. And at the end of the day, the best people should be hired for the jobs. If you just look at the big tent that the Republican Party has set up with the help of uh, America First, Donald Trump endorsed candidates throughout this election cycle, it's the massive amount of diversity, uh, not only in ethnic background or skin color, but where they come from as people, educational levels. Uh, were Were they at some point immigrants to the United States and are now, you know, winning congressional seats or uh, – you know, what job sectors they've come from, it's, it's all about what do you bring to the table, not who you are as like, you know, a, a color. I think that's like the worst and ugliest way to ever look at a human being, and I hope we can get away from stupid stuff like affirmative action because it really doesn't do anything Mm-mm. except virtue hire. And then you put the wrong people in the wrong situations. You want to talk about border walls just coming across the newswire here in the 1 o'clock hour of the show On this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, it seems that Alejandro Mayorkas has uh, behind closed doors told uh, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner Magnus, who you may have remember as kneeling for Black Lives Matter and then going on The View to talk about it. It's a bold move. Very bold. Let's see how it works out for him. He has ordered him to step down or be fired. So we'll see, obviously, some shakeouts now at the uh, upper administrative levels throughout the federal government now that we've had the midterms come and go. But you know, there were some other points that Joe Biden brought up that were not as easily softballed back to the press. Of course, he was going to try and take a uh, victory lap on all things MAGA. Let's hear him kind of incoherently
19: work his way through that. that we faced over the last several years. Do you feel like the election is what represents that? Do you feel like the fever is broken, I guess?
13: Well, I, I'm not, I, I don't think we're going to break the fever for the super mega MAGA Republicans. I mean, but I think they're a minority of the Republican Party. I think the vast majority of the members of the Republican Party—we disagree strongly on issues—but they're decent, honorable people. We have differences of agreement on on issues, but they—you uh, know—I I, I work with a lot of these folks in the Senate and the House for a long time, and uh, you know, they—they're—they're they're honest and they're and they're straightforward. They're different than mine, but they're—you know—they're—they're they're, they're decent folks.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yep wanting to uh abs- so he's
0: saying he doesn't want to take them out behind the gymnasium and give them a knuckle sandwich listen fat
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's kind of uh some of the uh you know low lights of of joe biden uh one of the other ones I saw which was great, it has absolutely nothing to do with the uh seventy five percent of the of the wrong direction that we feel the country's going in. It doesn't have anything to do with record inflation. Uh, it doesn't even have anything to do with abortion. Uh, believe it or not, he was able to, um, you know, talk about Twitter and Elon Musk with all the shit going on in the world right now. He wanted to bring up the fact that, uh, Elon Musk may very well be a security risk to the country. Let's hear it. Oh, perfect.
7: do you think Elon Musk is a threat to us national security and should The US and with the tools you have, investigate his joint acquisition of Twitter with foreign governments, which include the Saudis?
13: (laughs) I think that Elon Musk's. Is he waiting for people to tell him what to
0: say in the earpiece?
13: Technical. Relationships with other countries uh, is worthy of being looked at. Whether or not he is doing anything inappropriate, I'm not suggesting that. I'm suggesting that it worth worth being looked at. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, but that's all I'll say. There's a lot of ways. Uh, all right.
1: Mm. Oh, I just want to keep in mind for our vast listenership and people joining Mm. us for the first time today that the first son is, yes, Hunter Biden. Mm. So the the owner of Tesla and SpaceX and all the things that, you know, our government says we need to move forward in our uh, greener futures is now a possible security risk to the nation based off of foreign investment, you know, mutual business Uh, relationships that he has with people because he acquired the biggest speaker box platform for the, uh, you know, Democrat Party regime. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with that. So all those issues, listen, 60% of the country went to the ballot box angry last week. I don't necessarily believe that. 75% of the country is on the wrong track. I mean, I see it, but... Doesn't really resonate in the votes. We're going to talk about crushing MAGA and Elon Musk is now uh spaceman bad. So spaceman bad. That, that's kind of where we're at. And uh, that was the uh, Joe Biden victory lap right there uh, following the midterm election. So good job, Rana, Kevin, and Mitch on that one. Tom Emmer's. we're talking to you too. We are going to get a little bit into... Don, Don versus Ron, Ron. Mm. We don't want to take it too far. We read the tweets in in our first segment, but there was some news going around. You know, we're we're seeing the big corporate machine all kind of work right now to fan these flames. It's, It's one of those things like Raheem talked about. Right now you have advisors, donors, and people who back a DeSantis run taking pot shots at Donald Trump. So instead of having people like Dan Scavino or Cash Patel or Tyler Butowich tweet back about it, have Liz Harrington go places and talk shit about, Donald Trump's just doing it himself. He's a fucking big boy. And this, uh, in case everyone forgets, isn't his first rodeo. And uh, we've made it explicitly clear. We don't take anything away from the governor of Florida and the great work that he's done there. But the fact of the matter is, is, uh, if this goes the way that everybody wants it, this will end up like the end of episode three of star Wars. (laughs) Don't try it. Anakin Trump Mm. has the high ground. And you know, when, when, when Paul Ryan and friends and Griffin, the big mega donor get Ron DeSantis to say, you underestimate my power. You're going to be taking out one of the strongest Republican political people we have in this country right now, out of politics for at least two election cycles. That is where Ron DeSantis will be banished to, and then we'll we'll talk about Carrie Lake versus Glenn Youngkin in 2028. You know, it won't be a three way race. Uh, so I'm just letting everybody know that you know that's that's where our opinion is right now. It's it's been unwavering and unchanged. Well, let's hear. Uh, let's see. Joe Dushborough weighed in this morning. Of course I, he did. Yeah, and uh, let's let's hear what he had to say about this whole thing because they were uh, loving it
5: does Ron DeSantis, has he set up shop in Donald Trump's head?
20: Yes, he has. Now, look, there, there's actually one truth in Donald Trump's statement, and that is that Ron DeSantis owes his political career to the former president. Without Fact question, there's nobody in America that more deftly and successfully used Donald Trump. Yeah. And I, I say used, right? He, he was the ambassador of Trumpism when he was in the house. He then uses Trump to get to the governor's mansion. And then he steps aside from Trump and he mm-hmm. gets adjacent to Trump. He doesn't defend him, but he also doesn't criticize him. And the one, the one component that this story is currently missing yeah. is Ron DeSantis has never taken the bait. I mean, I I think a lot of people are waiting to hear what is the posture of Ron DeSantis in this moment? Does he just say nice things about the president and move on? Because right now, look, he's got the hot hand. He doesn't need to engage in the scrum. Ron DeSantis is famously has a very glass jaw, fragile ego. You you get him on the ropes and you start to see a Ron DeSantis that is not the manufactured package you see today. How will Ron DeSantis respond?
1: And that's MSNBC. Reminding you of something we often bring up on the show, he has never been a great debater. Uh, Raheem Kassam and, and many others pointed out, you know, a few weeks ago when Ron DeSantis and Charlie Chris had their debates, this, these were not resounding, like, absolute slam dunks for Ron DeSantis. They battled hard on the issues, the ones on the right and the ones on the left. But if you want to talk about absolutely burying people, a la the 2015 general election presidential cycle, Oof. never happened. It just didn't. And it's because Ron DeSantis usually sticks to his guns and his policies and not to, you know, negative rhetorics and nicknames. But it seemed uh, the American public sure loved it during the 2015 uh, presidential election cycle, especially, you know, even for people. The establishment loved Jeb. Gone. The establishment was okay with Chris Christie, even though he had Bridgegate and Wastegate. (laughs) Gone. Everybody likes Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. You know, you, you couldn't ask for Ted Cruz brings a little humor to the table, Ron Paul brings that kind of daddish, wholesomeness, southern draw to the table. Donald Trump made him look like complete fucking retards. And that's just the fact of the matter. It's, a, it, you know, go look up YouTube videos of the 2015 president. When Donald Trump was talking about, I mean, we've, we've mentioned it all today, but one that Raheem, when Rand Paul was in the middle of the stage and he was about to get kicked out of the... uh you know, primaries, and Donald Trump looked all the way down from the middle of the stage, and he said, I remember when you used to be right next to me. And he's like, now you're all the way over there. He's like, guess what? There's only one more space for you to go, and you're not here anymore. After the next primary, Rand Paul bowed out. So, and these people were polished veterans, and uh, they, they came around to MAGA. Like we said, you know, Rand Paul's been awesome. There's talks of him now as possibly being vetted for vice president, which I wouldn't hate at all. Can you imagine? That would be a great ticket. That would be epic. It certainly would, and you'd have a lot of those independent issues that it seems like the Republicans are lacking in right now that Rand Paul would be able to identify with I
0: think them. Fauci would move to a non-extradition country. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just going to see if my passport is ready. I've, I've got to leave the country unexpectedly.
1: Gosh. Well, we'll see enough of that in, in congressional hearings early next year, and we'll be bringing you all that kind of coverage but you know i just
0: want to know if i have to pay for my carry-on luggage Mm. i have these vials
1: (laughs) what else do we got i saw fake news cnn was running around with this narrative as well they were just absolutely loving it and that was kind of a middle of the road take i'll be honest with you for msnbc to have somebody come in there and say like yes we like it because it takes all the everything off of us but at the same time you gotta really like, if you're gonna do tail of the tape, you gotta put tail of the tape up there. I've got all the receipts in front of me from Ron DeSantis. That's another conversation for another day though. As as, like we said, this isn't really anything serious at the moment. Let's hear fake news CNN weigh in on uh, Don Don versus Ron Ron. And
8: then politics reporter and editor at large, Chris Eliza. So um, President Trump, former President Trump, may be feeling heat a little bit after Republicans appear to have under-delivered. That of course is not how he's spinning it, important to note. conservative media also has a pretty interesting take on these results.
21: Yeah, uh, I'm using this term advisedly. There are some cracks in Donald Trump's support among conservative media. I want to show the New York Post uh, cover, uh, Donald Trump as Humpty Dumpty, uh, that he Trumpty Dumpty, that he had a big fall. Uh, This is the New York Post being the New York Post. I mean, let's, uh, let's not say this is the entire conservative movement, but it is worth noting that On the day after the election, they had a headline about Ron DeSantis and how strong he was. On the second day after the election, they have a headline about Donald Trump and maybe him losing his grip on the Republican Party. On a more serious note, the Wall Street Journal editorial board has an editorial that makes the point that I've tried to make the people over and over again, just in pointing out Donald Trump's record. He's won one race, 2016. He lost the House and the Senate during his time in office for Republicans, and he lost the 2020 presidential race. Uh, th- there th- then you go to 2022, there have been losses there too. So I think you're seeing, Erica, some, some elements of discontent within the Republican party about Donald Trump. I, I hesitate to say that's the entire party. I think we have to be careful in making yeah. generalizations like that, but there's at least some.
13: Yeah, and remember, on January 7th, 2021, there were a lot of folks who were pronouncing the end of the Trump, right, reign, as it were, and and things changed in the wake of that. All right, when we look at a potential Trump-DeSantis showdown here, first of all, is that realistic, right? Does DeSantis openly step up to him? uh, And what does it look like?
21: I do think it's realistic. I think Ron DeSantis is putting the pieces together to run. I want to cite a couple things from the exit polling, and this gets to the be careful of generalizations about Donald Trump. In the exit polling, 73% of Republicans had a favorable opinion of him. 23% had an unfavorable opinion. So he's still a popular figure within the party. Let's not say, you know, it's all over for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But I want to go to the Ron DeSantis number, if we can pop that up. In Florida, we were asked, uh, he was asked, would you want Ron DeSantis to run for president? These are people who know him. 72% said yes. So I think there is some momentum for DeSantis. He raised a ton of money, $200 million for his campaign. He has a lot of that money still left on hand. He had a huge night compared to the Democrats, uh, excuse me, Republicans more generally and compared to Trump more generally. So I actually think we may see this fight. And I think Donald Trump is a little worried about this fight with Ron DeSantis, which is not a uh, trait that Mm -hmm. we usually associate with him.
8: No, Mm -hmm. it's not. We also won't hear it out loud, but um... no. But wouldn't be surprised if he was a little worried. Chris Elizabeth. They're scared.
1: You did hear those poll numbers. I just want to clarify for you. So they used the poll, a national poll. It said United States at the top when they asked about party uh, favorability. Uh, Donald Trump was close to 75%. DeSantis was also close to 75%, but that was just in the state of Florida. Uh, these national polls that have been coming out over the last year, though, the straw polls from, like, CPAC and Iowa and all these other events that they have on, you know, the uh, AFLI down in Washington, D.C. and, and, and things of that nature, uh, Turning Point USA events, they all have Donald Trump at least at 65 and all the way up to close near 80 in, in straw polls when, when you put out the entire field there. And that would be, like, right now, DeSantis, Christie, Pence, uh, you know, Tulsi. Uh, and people like that, so they they tried to throw it at you real quick by showing like Donald Trump at seventy three percent, and the next graphic says seventy two percent. But it literally says United States when they're showing the Donald Trump graphic, and says State of Florida when they're showing. So for the politically uneducated people that aren't paying attention, to be like, oh wow, they're only a percentage point away from you. I should Ron DeSantis is the future. Yeah, and when you look at
0: what would happen if if we ended up with a split ticket like this, I mean you have. The establishment rhinos are pushing for this. So obviously there's there's a ulterior motive to just weaken Donald Trump and make him politically less viable. But when you look at it just on the basis of just political strategy or just strategy in general, having a split ticket like this, it, it's just like, uh, for example, Putin investing in green energy to convince the UK to go that direction. It's yep. like, yeah, eventually... It's gonna go in my favor because I'm gonna be able to just hem you guys up as soon as that shit fucking fails. So it just it I hope it doesn't happen. I really hope they don't push him into doing that because it would just be disastrous for everything that's going on right now.
1: No, and the fact of the matter is is like if the biggest thing we should learn coming out of this midterm election is besides all of the faults we have in the senior leadership of the establishment GOP, is that our message right now, although diverse in candidate quality, isn't resonating with the independents as much as we'd want it to. And what do you do after a Republican primary that's extremely bloody? Let's say Donald Trump wins a 50-48, you know, or he just gets over the delegates all the way at the end of the general election cycle. Are you going to have someone who you've completely polarized because you say he's like the bastard of the party or, or not worthy nominee, just getting over the finish line. How are you going to cater to independence then into the general election season? It's going mm-hmm. to be really hard.
0: I uh, guess another way to look at it was maybe they're just lobbing these up as a potential just in case, like a backup plan. Well, I, mean, it, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to put Donald Trump in prison or any of the stuff that they're saying on the mainstream media constantly that Donald Trump's going to go to jail, he's going to be indicted, yada, Mm, yada, yada. Got to love those ones. Maybe this is just like, well, just in case, we're just going to float it out there, see how people feel about it.
1: Speaking of floating it out there, let's hear a former Clinton advisor talk about DeSantis versus Trump on Fox News of all places. (laughs)
13: Thank you. Luke. So let's bring in Mark Penn, former advisor, pollster to President Clinton, chairman and the CEO of the marketing group Stagwell. Nice to see you, Mark. Hello to you. I'm sorry, Dana. This whole thing about investigations could very well happen because Kevin McCarthy could be the speaker or Steve Scalise. But it looks like Republicans at this moment will have control of the House and there will be hearings
9: and there will be investigations and there will be an opposing voice in government that has a majority in that case. Well, I think either. Joe Biden will be the nominee, or between investigations and health, if he can't be the nominee, he'll turn the presidency over to Vice President Harris. And you saw how well Hochul did in New York, right? Once Harris would get a chance to be the president. It's a little bit of a fantasy, I'll admit. But if you play the scenarios out right now, I think you're seeing Joe Biden, if he can, is going to dig his heels in. And even though only 40% of the Democratic electorate is saying they want him to be the Democratic nominee, Oof. he is going to want to be the Democratic okay, nominee. We're out of time, but answer Dana's question now.
7: Would he, would Biden still want to run against, and would he win against DeSantis if that was the nominee?
9: If DeSantis does a knockdown, drag out primary and beats Donald Trump, DeSantis would be virtually impossible to beat in the presidency against anybody. All righty. Well you've been around.
7: Yeah, thank Mark. you, Mark. Great to have thanks you. It was wonderful to have here. you with us yeah, last night as
19: well.
1: well. I wish I had a good one. Well, I mean, it's <clears throat>
0: we've already established that Fox News is
1: not voting for. They're well. I mean, they, it, they want Trump gone.
0: Yeah, and they're yeah controlled opposition, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
1: They, they are, and uh, you know, very few voices on that show. It's going to be interesting to see where Laura Ingram. We know she she you know grifts at Ron DeSantis, Boomer Sweats, Sean Hannity. Um, you know, he, he goes wherever they tell him to go. And then you have Tucker Carlson, who we know is closely aligned with President Trump. Uh, he's going to be speaking this week at the uh, incoming freshman retreat for the uh, Freedom Caucus members. And we'll be getting a full dispo on that. Um, but we, we, we do know where this is coming from. The big donors who don't want to have to wait another presidential cycle if be only because they fear Donald Trump isn't the caliber of candidate they need to win when we all know that he is, uh, it's who else is pulling the strings behind the line. We know the, the Bushes and, uh, you know, people like that are there. But Paul Ryan has always been uh, a thorn in Donald Trump's side. He, he ruined the House after 2016. He lost us the House in 2018. You know, I blame Donald Trump for that. It was the incohesiveness and refusal to work with a president that had a bold and robust America First agenda at the time. Uh, they just didn't want to go outside of their comfort zone. Now he's gone on to be like, you know, one of the people who pulls the strings at Fox News. And you've heard from, you know, rhetoric like that on that channel. Let's hear a hot mic moment for him when he was getting interviewed over the weekend talking just about Donald
5: Trump. I think we're going to have to do a lot of soul searching and, you know, head scratching and, and, and looking through and parsing the numbers as to why we didn't perform as well as we would have liked to have.
13: Why do you think
7: it is?
5: I mean, I think Trump's kind of a drag on our ticket. I think I think Donald Trump. Um, gives us problems politically. We lost the House, the Senate, and the White House in two years when Trump was on the ballot or in office. And I think we just have some Trump, Trump hangover. I think he's a drag on our on our on our offices. So, huh? yeah, that,
0: that's
1: pretty much it. Listen, the most popular president in the history of presidents, like for real though, right? Donald Trump will have amassed already. He will continue to add on to his over two hundred wins. This primary election cycle. So, say what you will. Um, I think messaging was partially a problem. Obviously, leadership at the top of the GOP establishment is a huge issue that needs to be addressed. You already see the infighting starting. Uh, Donald Trump defending himself is kind of—it's a nothing burger. It's what Donald Trump does, and uh, you know he's going to be the center of the political world next Tuesday uh, when we come back with Christina, Bob, and Cash Patel and J.W. Gibbons on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Who knows who else could be joining us by then? Uh, but the, but you know, heading into the weekend. Uh, let's keep a couple things in mind you, you again at the top of the show I reminded you listen share and subscribe this show and all of our content and we'll be back tomorrow morning uh, 7 a.m. Pacific 10 a.m. Eastern the great steak breakfast will be live uh, Across all of our platforms. You'll see us on getter. You'll see us on rumble YouTube Facebook You name it. I'll throw the links up in uh, our social medias later after I get this show posted Well our midterm election hangover rages on and will throughout the weekend. Hopefully we'll have some updates for you on these races, including Arizona tomorrow. Um, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the other 185 the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Pod Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to our amazing guests today. Obviously the man who is behind the National Pulse, maybe behind Steak for Breakfast at some point in the near future, Mr. Rahim Kassam, and then country music, legend in the making, Alexis Wilkins. We'll be looking forward to having both of them back soon. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cash at our partners, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again, namely My Pillow. Everybody likes sleeping, everybody likes coffee. You are in enter promo code Steak at checkout there, you're getting big, big savings on both mypillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related mystore.com forward slash steak for anything coffee related or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey go out make the investment if you're in the studio you're recording you're getting serious about it you want those ears taken care of odyssey.com is the website you can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well my patriot cigar Noah loves them rate them 10 out of 10. He's smoking one every time we have a show and more. Um, it's a premium smoke for free and love and patriots. Remember, you enter promo code, stick a check out there. You're getting 15% off. Orders over $100. Bucks, free shipping. $10 e-gift card every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com is the website there. You can find them across social medias as well. West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all of your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, ammo, and accessories. Mike's Newly redesigned and easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger after his 30-day ban. And via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Stay ready, gear holsters. What do we got today? Hmm.
0: Let's just have just a really, 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 really really large picture of John Fetterman's lump. (laughs)
1: Listen, if you wanted that meme... On a concealed carry Kydex holster, they will get the orders out faster than ever before. They'll do it upright. Uh, StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. I had some man rubs chicken the other day, and uh, we had man rubs ribs on election night. They were both delicious. You buy it, you shake it, you sprinkle it, rub it on, throw it in the cooking apparatus of your choice. Eventually drizzle it with barbecue sauce, maybe even throw it in a Hawaiian roll, mm. and then directly into your mouth. Num nom, nom. I said, num, num, num. Oh, there we go. ManRubs.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. MediocreMedic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. Imagine all the places you could stick a tactical sticker. Where? You can only find out at <laughs> MediocreMedic.com and on their Instagram. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair can only be found at Dump Box. Still don't know? you got to get yourself a zero-fuck stuck. The holidays are coming. They tactically fit on most stockings. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Tuesday. We got a heater. We talked about it a couple times today. Cash Patel, Christina Bob, and J.W. Gibbons of The Daily Caller will be here. Jake Denton and Josh Hammer are coming in on the 18th. And Theo Wold and Devin Nunes will be taking us into that Thanksgiving weekend on Tuesday the 22nd. In addition to that, expect some of the candidates to come through. Gavin Wax rescheduled with us today. He might be back on Tuesday. He might be back next Friday. We'll check it out. We might even have him on our show tomorrow morning. Um, Friends of the Week. Got our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, of course. Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, Real Lazy Boss, American Nintendo Suitcase, CSM Master, Burger Man. Some of our true social friends. Indiana Zoomer, Jason E. Van Gundy. Some call me Tim79, Thomas Bama, and 13 Gen Patriot. Ghost Hammer, we know you're listening. We love you. And then some of the meme team. Not Far Out, Tree Fans or Memes, Nat Poso, Grand Old Memes, Mostly Peaceful, Dumbass Photoshop, Mad of America, The Real Brenda Memes, and The Real Meme DeLorean. Guys, things to remember between now and tomorrow's show or next Tuesday if you'll be joining us then. Number one, do your own research. You want to know what's going on behind the scenes between Trump and DeSantis? Do your own research. You'll find out. It's pretty much neither one of them. Uh, number two, start a podcast. Noah? Not too bad. Like it? Number three, let's start talking about American Greatness again, especially after this uh, lackluster performance in the midterm elections. It's time to start talking about it again because, listen, as of next Tuesday, we're getting busy all over again. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 186 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back with 187 on Tuesday, big Trump announcement day for Mar-a-Lago. We're going to have Cash Patel, J.W. Gibbons, Christina Bob, and probably more. On behalf of the Pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, again, happy Veterans Day. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for listening and take
3: care. Biden can't string two sentences together and we've got this giant bizarre you know, road warrior mutant uh, being forced in to the Senate out of Pennsylvania Instead of talking about how bad they are and, and mobilizing and saying, "Hey, we're actually winning this fight. We barely won this boxing match, but we did win it." Now we got to fight harder next time and keep mobilizing. Instead, we make it all about civil war, Republican Party. Uh, you know, Republicans routed. Uh, the f- Biden can't string two. Order me, master
8: me, oh, run town. Oh, sure, that's why you live in shit. That's it. Energy. Call it what you like, still smells like shit to me.
16: Not shit! Energy! No energy, no town!